Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Jake, we've got Ducks hockey games to talk about. Real games that happened that we have to dissect. I hope you're ready for it. It's been a while. It's been, what, 10 and a half months, basically? Something around yeah. there? Like, yeah. it, it, it's been double, a well, we Double-digit months. We should actually just say this. We have never covered a game as Crash the Pond. Yeah. This is the made, first made cra- voyage. This is the very first Crash the Pond podcast that we will have covered a game on. And to start out, let's just get to this real quick. We have some new subs on Twitch, so I want to give them a shout out as they're they're jumping in. So thank you everyone. Thank you Lewis X209 resubbed for 28 months. Fat Geralt resubbed for 2 months in a row. Hey yo Dflow resubbed for 4 months in a row. And we have a little bit of a hype train uh going in there so thank you guys so much for doing that we also have a little bit more housekeeping to get to right before we start jumping into some games shirts yes so now up on the blog at crashthepond.com shop we have and if you're watching this video on youtube or on twitch you'll now see the screen we have some merch we've got some shirts and some hoodies so go check them out if you've ever wanted to uh rep the logo rep the crash the pond blog uh you can now do that so really fun, it's really excited. Sweet. Yeah, I gotta say the the logo looks really good on the hoodies in particular. I mean, for those colder nights, you know, if you leave or live in SoCal outside of SoCal, it gets pretty cold at night. So the hoodie's pretty perfect for that. And once things do warm up, t shirts, that little logo in the corner on the left chest, it just it looks really good. It looks clean. Clean cut look. You know, we're really you know, we're big time critics of jerseys and jersey design so you know a lot of thought went into this to make sure they look right to make sure that you look good wearing them and we've got you covered so just make sure to go to crashthepond.com slash shop and hopefully by next week or next week's show we will be uh able to be models of the shirt so look forward to that (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah i'm really looking forward to that (laughs) i'm sure everyone else is too uh yep so okay well, let's uh, let's just dive right in because we have a we legitimately have a ton of stuff to talk about, which uh, I gotta say is a pretty nice change of pace from the months that uh, we and our listeners, of course, had to endure. Hopefully, it wasn't too terrible, but it's all behind us now, so let's just forget about it. Let's start with this. So, it's been a whole week since we last spoke, and a lot of things have happened. The Ducks did set their opening night roster, so you want to start there. Yeah, so one of the big surprises, honestly, for this opening night roster was uh, that Max Jones, first off, was placed on injury reserve. It was a situation where I don't think it had been reported at all had not. That, that he was injured. And then it comes out that he's starting the season on the IR. And in addition to that, he actually got injured about a week prior. And, and so that really kind of came out of the blue. And so in order to make it work, um, what they had to do was they put Brendan Gooley actually on uh a long-term injury reserve because of the amount of games that he's going to miss. And so they were able to do that prior to actually op- uh, submitting opening night roster. They were able to get full cap relief as a result. And due to that, they were able to then get underneath the salary cap and be pretty tight up against it, put Ryan Kessler on LTIR and um, make it, or basically get to um, that a one and a half. 
and then activate him on LTAR, get some relief there. And so the opening night roster, just to run through it real quick, it was Ryan Getzoff, Adam Henrique, Jacob Silverberg, Ricard Raquel, Danton Heinen, Sonny Milano, Derek Grant, Troy Terry, uh, Carter Rowney, Nicola Delore, Isaac Lindstrom, Sam Steele. And then on defense, it was Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson, Kevin Shattenkirk, Jacob Larson, and Yanni Hockenpah. In goal, it was John Gibson and Ryan Miller. On the taxi squad, it was David Backus, Cody Coran, Vinny Lettieri, Anthony Stolarz, um, Andy Walensky, and Maxime Comtois. And then kind of as I had mentioned kind of over time that the Ducks were going to be using this taxi squad, and even if they had a 20-man roster to start the season on opening night that was quickly going to shift and on uh what was it thursday we saw that shift happen right away where the ducks activated both maxime comtois and at the time cody coran off the taxi squad uh cody coran was the healthy scratch on thursday with maxime comtois being the player that drew into the lineup the notable exception and this happened last week this was after we actually recorded last sunday i believe it was on monday this came out or maybe it was tuesday but trevor zegras sent to the ahl and this caused a little bit of a kerfuffle for me. Kerfuffle. Let's go, let's go with that. Enjoy that. Enjoy that. I'm, so, I'm glad he. I'm glad he used that word. Yes, yeah. Of course. Um. So, it really was confusing to me at first because I mean to be honest, and I still kind of hold this opinion. The taxi squad and the fact that this year is such an odd season, um, it, it's the exact perfect time for teams to utilize that for their kids. And to be able to bring them up to the taxi squad, get them playing experience, get them practicing experience. They don't necessarily have to play in every single game, but they can at least practice. They can be with the team, kind of learn the ropes of that. And this is such a unique season. Take advantage of that. You can have guys up with you and not burn games, and they may not necessarily have to go back to junior. There's a whole lot in the air. So use that. Have Trevor Zegras there. And instead, they sent him down to the AHL, where at the time, all we knew was that the season was starting, I believe it's February 5th, and he was sent down to go to goals training camp. It then came out that the goals were supposed to play preseason games this past Saturday and Sunday. Um, those actually both got canceled due to COVID uh, precautions. No real word on what that actually meant, but those were both canceled as a result. Um, so there is a little bit more logic, I think, is the way you and I, when we, we discussed it off air, but uh, to sending him down because he can get these preseason games as compared to just going through a three-and-a-half-week training camp with no actual games but it's still not the best logic in the world would you agree with that yeah there's still i mean at least now you can make a a more a more sound case for it of of sending him down but i view it as this and this is kind of getting maybe a little bit too far ahead but we already knew before the season started that the ducks roster as a whole was kind of lacking in offense. And what did we see out of Trevor Zegras in the World Juniors? A ton of offense. And the Ducks had said that we are evaluating him as if, you know, like this is his training camp. And because of the quarantine issues, he got one skate with the Ducks, and then they sent him down to San Diego. So what I was very confused about was, well, if you were truly evaluating him fairly in the World Juniors, which you wanted him to go to, um then shouldn't he have done enough to get a spot in the roster? Um, So that aside, this is a team that needed offense in the worst way on paper. We saw that bear out in the first two games, and there was really just no harm in getting him on the roster in the first place because the worst thing that could have happened 
is that maybe he looks a little bit out of place in the first couple games, you know, however many you want to give him, and then you send him down, you know, but at least you're rewarding him for Mm -hmm. what he just did. And instead, his reward is that he gets to go practice with the AHL team. And look, it's not going to harm his development, but it is you're you're. I think as a team, you're leaving money on the table, essentially. You're leaving value at the door where, you know, we don't know what Trevor Zegras is going to be like as an NHLer at his very young age of 19, but why not find out? I mean, if you, I mean, and this is something that I was going to get into, but then you started talking about Zegras. If you can have Isaac Lundestrom on this roster who has shown worlds less than Trevor Zegras in his respective amateur career. And because of his stint in San Diego last year, I guess that the staff is more comfortable having him on the roster. If he can make the team, then I just don't understand why Trevor Zegras couldn't. It just kind of shows, and again, this is something that we'll talk about more, it shows where the staff's priorities are right now. Because I don't think this is just an organizational thing. Um, or solely an organizational thing. I think it's more of a coaching perspective where I think they want guys who are going to go out there and kind of just play it safe, play not to lose. And what it turns out is that if you're playing not to lose, you're actually just hurting your ability to win. And um, that's kind of what we saw happen. Sorry, I, I know that it's – try not to talk about the games too much, but I was not a big fan of the move. I was also not a fan, as you can tell, of having – Lundestrom on the opening night roster, and I feel like all those things just kind of played out yeah. how I expected, at least. Yep, and and Bonnie's in the chat asking how could they have known that the goals games this weekend would be canceled, and I think that... No, they couldn't have known. I mean, I'm not criticizing well, that aspect of it in the sense that, okay, once he's down there, he's down there, and there's at least a case that he's going to get a few games, get some reps. So I'm not... Right now, I'm not I, I criticizing think, that. I, I think the bigger picture is is that you and I both would have had him on the NHL roster to begin with, regardless of if they had these games played on the weekend or not. He's yeah. He did well enough in the World Juniors, which was his quote-unquote training camp, to earn a spot on this roster, to get a chance on this lineup. And, I mean, anyone who wants to talk about Lundstrom, Lundstrom is only a year older than... Trevor Zegras. It's not as if Zegras is this really young talent. Isaac Lundestrom, if you remember, made this lineup out of camp as an 18-year-old. So it's not as mm-hmm. if they aren't willing to give guys a shot right away. It, that That's something they've done. They gave Comtois a chance right out of, yep. uh, right, basically right after getting drafted. So I, I just don't understand really the hand-wringing about him needing the, the AHL experience when they didn't necessarily do that with Comtois and they granted eventually sent him back down and they've let him develop, but they still gave him that shot, gave him that, that ice time in the, to begin with. Same thing with Lundestrom eventually sent him back to, to Europe, but still he initially got that experience. And well, I just am not quite sure why that's not happening with your top prospect. I think, and, and mm-hmm. real quick here, th- this is an important point. Anyone who wants to talk about, maybe they want to keep him in the AHL for the whole year, not to burn a contract. I might actually argue for a couple reasons that it's better to burn the year off his deal this year. First off, you don't really want to piss off your top prospect. That that's not something you want to do long term. That you want to keep him happy because he's because he's the future of the franchise. But regardless of that, this is a guy where he may not put up huge numbers this year, with but he still could be a positive contributor. And the fact that those numbers won't be well, great actually could it's help. Gonna do- 
Yeah, it will, it, it will it's lower. It's going to depress it, his asking price. Exactly. So <laughs> even though yes, they will burn a year, he will hit RFA status earlier. And that second contract, well, yes, he does get it a year earlier. It may be less than what he would get if you have that extra year going into his prime. So that's where with these high end players, I'd argue it's almost better to burn a year if you're looking at the long term cap implication of it. Um, and Fat Geralt says burn a year or use a year. That's a good point. It, it mean you're using a year of his ELC. Um, Ginger Wolf asks, is it possible that he was very bad in his short time in camp? I mean, he, he played, it was he, a he one was, skate. It was one skate and they had him on a line with Milano and Bacchus. Yeah, so they had no intention. They had no intention of, of getting him on the open night roster. Now, what I would say is that I think that this is a bit of a product of the ducks being in quote unquote, win now mode is yes. that they, if this were, I think that the reason that they were willing to bring up a guy like Contois last year, that's or, true. Two years ago, I I should say, or I guess they all melt. Yeah, they all they all melt. Two years ago, and in addition, last year is that that even though the Ducks didn't say it publicly, it was pretty clear that it was kind of a transitional rebuilding type year. And this mm-hmm. year is not that. This year is the complete opposite. They have been very public in saying that they are aiming for something higher this year. And bringing in a, a teenager for opening night it's a bit of a risk, right? Or at least it's a perceived risk. If you're the coaching staff, you'd rather someone who maybe you have a little more control over, who knows your system, who you can trust not to turn the puck over out there. Who's just, again, a perceived lower liability. And I think that that's what happened here. I don't think that that's the correct approach because just because you're less of a quote unquote liability, doesn't mean that you're adding more value in the end. And I, I certainly don't think that Isaac Lindstrom is adding a ton of value right now from basing it off what he's done in the last couple of games. So let's um, let's carry on, though, here with just some preseason notes before we actually get into the games, because uh, that's where the meat of this podcast is going to be, I think, or where it's going to be our launching out point. Did you talk about Ben Hutton already? No, Sorry. I have not. So Ben Hutton, uh, Ben yep. Hutton was it kind of word went out. I think it was on Friday, maybe something along those lines. Thursday or Friday that he was released from his PTO. Um, and people were like, oh, are the Ducks releasing him? All this different stuff. At the end of the day, uh, technically, I believe PTOs cannot run past training camp for uh, an NHL-type player. And so his PTO was technically over. The Ducks then, I believe it was on uh, Friday, they off- or they announced signed that they him. had signed him to a contract for one year, $950,000. Um, makes total and complete sense. He had never actually been on the ice with the Ducks. He had been in quarantine the entire time you don't sign a guy to a pto have him quarantine just to release him they it was clearly obvious at the very beginning of it that he was signed to a pto with a contract eventually coming because they could not sign him to a deal at that time due to cap issues this was a deal that was done um after the fact or once the the ducks were able to get cap compliant it was very similar to kind of what the st louis blues did with mike hoffman a pto to get him essentially on the team get the the paperwork started then once they're able to get cap compliant give him the contract yep and so ben hutton we talked about it quite a bit on last week's pod so won't won't rehash too much but he's a big upgrade for their third pairing and although the third pairing has looked okay at times in the first two games um, he is more of a proven. He is a proven commodity in that role, and it's a wise move from the Ducks because it really solidifies that third pairing and takes a little pressure off of you know the top two that we've talked about in, on previous shows. Yes, and I think we'll, we maybe kind of we'll get into it in a bit, but there there's a lot of options I think that they can do with Ben Hutton, and I think he offers a lot of and different I think, things that are important. And I think that they may look into them. 
Yes. <laughs> I so, think that uh, they may explore those options. So let's just get into it. So first game, first game against Vegas came on Thursday. Yep. So first game for the Ducks since March of 2020. Crazy how that how long ago that was, but it felt all too similar when the game first started. So the Ducks dropped that one five to two, as of course you know by now. Gave up two quick goals to Jonathan Marshall and Thomas Nosek in the first two minutes of the game. Uh, but the Ducks, to their credit, they clawed their way back in um, thanks to a pair of goals from Maxime Contois, who, I mean, we'll get more into him, but maybe it's the tinted visor, maybe it's the flow, maybe it's the tan, <laughs> who knows, but he's looking pretty good out there. Yeah. Got two goals. I mean, one of them off of a really nice feed from Sam Steele, who I think looks really good. Uh, through the first two games. And Ryan Getzloff also getting a nice feed across to Contois on the second goal. Contois doing a good job, though, of corralling it with the skate, getting it back into a shooting position and getting it into the net. Scoreless second period after that, though, uh, things would kind of fall apart, I guess you could say. The Knights would score three unanswered goals in the third period, and that would pretty much seal the Ducks' fate. So, very, very brief overview. I'm assuming most of you watched it by now, but what were some of your takeaways from from that opener? My my takeaways were I was kind of pleasantly content with how they pleasantly played. content. That I that think, is that is high praise. Yeah, high praise. I, because I this is a very good Vegas team, no doubt. And if you look at the game flow chart, which I now have on the screen from Natural Stat Trick, you can see for expected goals purposes, Vegas actually held the lead. But if you were to change it to Corsi, the Ducks actually had the better of the shot attempts throughout the game. And I think that's really kind of what impressed me for this team was they started off really rough. No doubt about that. The two goals against came. It was off really bad errors. I mean, the first goal came with a really bad line change. The fourth line's out there, and I believe Delorier missed the guy that was coming down the middle, and Larson also missed him and ends up potting the goal with a great shot above John Gibson. And uh, second goal comes with a missed assignment where you actually did, you and I were talking about this, Danton Heinen and Isaac Lundestrom basically kind of have a complete miscommunication. Isaac Lundestrom does a flyby and leaves the guy wide open in front of the net. And these are just really bad defensive breakdowns, and it felt like the Ducks were going to be in for a long night with those types of defensive breakdowns happening. It, it felt very Carlisle-esque. Yes, and so I think the positives that can take away is that on the backs of, honestly, a really good shift by the Terry Comtois steel line where uh, the Ducks were actually able to score. Terry actually started the entire thing with a good strip in the at the defensive uh, blue line, led the Ducks into the zone with the pass of steel, ended up getting some zone time, and then eventually Comtois was able to bury the puck. Kind of on the backs of that, the Ducks are able to start getting some of the benefit or getting some of the flow going their way. And as you can see in the game flow, actually kind of dominating play and actually getting the better of it, at least from the shot attempt battle perspective throughout the, the end of the first period through the second period. It actually felt like at some points in time in that second period that they were going to take the lead, specifically, as we'll talk about in depth, when the Steel, Comtois, Terry line were out. They, they allowed chances against, but they were the most dynamic line in terms of generating chances for, and it seemed like they were, were prepped to get it. And then in the third period, it just felt like kind of it all went awry. Felt like Vegas came back. John, uh, John Gibson did not have a, a stellar performance in this game, and I think that is the difference between uh, a, a point a potentially getting a point out of it. Um, you may say you may be able to look at his game and say he he uh, he's not at fault for a couple of these goals, different things like that. But at the end of the day, four goals on twenty eight shots is not good enough from an all star level elite caliber goalie. 
Um, especially the goal against uh, Max Pacioretty at the end that beat him five hole. You'd like to yeah, see him be I, I able mean, to stop that. It, it's not as if he had a bad night per se. Yeah. No, but, he had a he had a bad night. I mean, just look at expected goals: two point nine for true. Vegas. He led in five. So true. And, and so if he yeah. if he's able to be average, the Ducks potentially tie that game. Well, the thing with the Pacioretty goal, just to kind of complete side, not a complete sidebar, but. Sure. Even though it looks bad because it was five hole, but Max Pacioretty is a high level a great, shooter yeah. who's all alone close to the net. Even though it went through the wickets, it's still not you're true. not you're not necessarily expecting or banking on a save there. Yeah, I mean, I think that what was impressive about that first game, if we're to draw anything positive from it, is that, and you've already alluded to this, but it started off looking so bad. It's it started off feeling like here we go again. Nothing has changed. Uh, just fast forward to next year, you know, all these thoughts just rushing back. But yep. the Ducks managed to stabilize things, and they, they made a game out of it. And in the second period, they actually, you know, found a way to win the shot attempt battle at 5-on-5, five 17-13, five, and didn't win the scoring chances. But it just felt like they were at least hanging in there with a very good Vegas team who who did get to play in the bubble. So they've got a leg up on the Ducks. The Ducks haven't played uh, all the way since March, whereas the, the Golden Heights got a pretty good yeah. run in the bubble. So I thought that it was kind of a good first feel-out game. You know, that's how it's going to be a little bit with these series. Um, as far as John Gibson is concerned, not the start you would want from him, especially given that if if the Ducks are going to be successful this year, if they are going to make the playoffs or even contend for the playoffs, they're going to need John Gibson to be at a very high level. And he didn't show that at all. I don't think he was the reason that they lost, but he just didn't, he didn't make a difference. He didn't give them really a chance to win. And I know that that might sound harsh. I'm not trying to disparage John Gibson. I just mean to say that he wasn't his well, usual standing on his head self. His, the standards that he set for himself are extremely, extremely yeah. high. But, even, it's but not, even if he was just an average goalie, this was yeah. just not a good performance for anybody. Yep. I would agree with that. So, yeah. Kind of, let's run through real quick kind of the lines for this game and some impressions, at least for the first game uh, yep. on these lines. So the, the f- top line, the quote-unquote top line for the Ducks in this game was the Adam Reek, Jack Grant Soderberg. Line? The Rowney line? Oh, well, if we're going based on ice time, uh, that would be, sorry, in this game not, they were not, not the in top game line. one. Not in game one. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it was the Ricardo Kell, Adam Henrique, Jacob Silverberg line. So what were your initial impressions on this line in terms of the first game of the season? Um, they had an okay game from the perspective of, you know, first off, if you just look purely at their shot metrics, you would think, wow, they had a really dominant game. You know, shot attempts um, were 13 to six when they were on the ice. And when you look at um, expected goals, you know, Things are not nearly as pretty. No. And I think that, that the expected goals tells the more accurate story. Because when you were watching them play out there, I got to stop saying you in the second person. That's such a hockey thing to do. Anyway, you know, watch it. You know, you got to. Anyway, so watching them play out there, I thought that they did an okay job of controlling the puck down low, cycling the puck, not allowing too bad of chances. But the, the real issue was that they just couldn't generate anything of substance. You know, when they were controlling in the offensive zone, they weren't getting into the slot. They weren't getting high-quality chances. They weren't even getting medium-quality chances. They were just really non-factors offensively. And that's going to sink the Ducks. If, if they can't get anything out of that quote-unquote top line with really 
all three of them being established top six, you know, top six line NHL players, it's going to be really tough for them to win games. And you definitely saw it in, in game one. Yeah. And one thing that I want to add for context here, and something that I think you and I discussed a bit today uh, when we were texting and also kind of on Twitter, we both mentioned this, but they were matched up against the Petrangelo, uh, Petrangelo a bunch throughout this game and against the stone line. And both those players are some of the elite defensive talents in the league. And so now granted, they're going to be continually getting matched up against other teams, top defense pairing, top line or top defensive line. Yeah, but, but a, only result, one team has that kind of, has that level it, of line. In exactly, the <laughs> exactly. So although they were not great offensively, and that is something that is a major detriment to the, the team throughout these games with them being the de facto top line, I think trying to have a huge takeaway from this series as a whole for that line is going to be tough because of that matchup. I think the next series for this line is going to be huge to be able to see what they can actually do. We'll but, get into that. Yeah. I, I think that kind of adding that color to this, adding that context to this is, is very, very important when discussing that line. Now, granted that doesn't excuse it. That doesn't say that no, it, it makes doesn't. it okay because at the end of the day, the Ducks lost this game. Well, and if, also, if, if that line could have mm-hmm. done something with their minutes because they did play the most minutes out of any uh, any line at five on five in this game, the Ducks could have uh, could have done better. They could have won. Well, and also, this is the expectation that they are going to be getting those tough assignments, and this is the drawback that I believe I may have brought up preseason is that if you put all three of those guys on the top line, if I'm the opposing coach or the opposing staff and you're sitting down for your pregame breakdown, they're probably thinking, hey, as long as we can shut down that top line, there's no other line on this team that's really going to give us too much trouble or that's going that, to that, that's gonna sink us. And the formula proved correct for Vegas in this game. And that's not going to change for the Ducks. Other teams are going to take note of that and they're going to key in on that line. Now, other teams are not going to be able to do it as effectively as Vegas because they don't have the same level of talent to do so, but this is going to be baked in for their results. So I just, it's not an excuse because that's just the nature of their job. The expectation is that they're going to be able to fight through that. If they're not able to fight through tough matchups, then they shouldn't be the top line or they shouldn't all be together, but something's got to change. If, if, if that is going to be such a detriment to them now on a positive note, I would say, or should we save the positive at the very end for this game? Hmm. No, let's just jump right into it. On a positive note, even though their numbers, and this is going to be a recurring theme uh, going into game two as well, do not look the greatest, I do think that that Coltois steel Terry line was very good, and I think that they, they gave the Ducks a fighting chance in this game. They were the only line that really generated noteworthy offense. You could make a case that the Getzlaff line had its moments in that game, but really... Sam Steele setting up Max Contois for his first goal, and then Max Contois burying his second goal of the night. Troy Terry, as you mentioned, with a really nice transition play, which, hey, who's who's talked about that ad nauseum on a podcast before? Troy Terry being a good transition player. Couldn't be us, could it? It, it couldn't be us, you know? Could, it couldn't, couldn't be, be us. It could, we, it couldn't we hate be, Troy Terry. It couldn't be us singing his praises for, what, a year and a half now or something <laughs> like that? Yeah, so Troy Terry doing what Troy Terry does, winning puck battles, getting it through the neutral zone, getting it to his teammates, to his line mates, um, that pretty much led to the first goal for Anaheim. And so those three, it reminded me a lot of how they looked when they were together in a prospect camp uh, 
two years ago when they were dominating play. It looked a lot like that, and that's that's really good news for the Ducks. And I guess I'm just going to come out and say it already because I feel like it has to be said. I just think that Sam Steele looks like a different player through two games than he did last year. He 100% and I, does. And I think it's a big, it's it's a very important development for the Ducks. It is. And you mentioned this. We had an article go up on the site with predictions and hot takes of the season or things like that. Or maybe it was breakout player of the year. You had Sam Steele in one of those categories. And if he could become a third, a legit third line, maybe second line center for this Ducks team, that is a huge thing for this team to move forward. And he just looks so confident. Um, yeah. I, I think that the, the I think previously he was very much making the simple plays at times, really dumping it in, not really... Uh, didn't feel like he was very confident with the puck on his stick as a whole. It felt like he was kind of making the safe play all the time and not actually trying to make plays with it, not trying to do things with it on his stick. And it feels like in this game, he was skating with a purpose. He had the puck on his stick and was looking to make a play. And anytime he had it on a stick, he was looking to make a play. And a lot of times was able to generate it. He had a couple glorious chances um, yep. in the game, missed a couple of them. So you'd like to see those get on net. Um, same thing in the second game. We'll get into that in a little bit, but it, that line was really generating a lot. And the thing is, it works as a whole because all three guys bring a very different style of game. And I think Sam Steele, the only criticism that you might want to have is that his defensive uh, acumen in the the series wasn't the best. He had some solid plays, but I think that that's something that he will need to work on a, as yeah. a whole to make this line better. But I mean, at the end of the day, yes, they had some issues defensively, but they generated the most offense. They were the most high event uh, line for the Ducks out of the entirety of the series and especially in this game in the first game and this is a ducks team that's going to struggle to generate offense they did in this series they did in this game and to have a line that can do that you will take them giving up chances going the other way because they can give up or get chances for you and i think that was my biggest takeaway uh from it and they just looked really good i think that troy terry and sam Steele worked really well off of each other and then comtois got himself into good positions to kind of prosper off of that Mm -hmm. Well, I do think that even though they did have some tough moments defensively, I don't think that they were totally on them. And that's true. If, if we want to even whittle it down, I think Contois still looks a little shaky defensively. At times, he just looks either a little lost or his, his head is in the clouds or he's just not maybe hustling as much as he should when he's tracking back. And that's something that we knew about him last season. And it's still kind of in his game. But Sam Steele, I mean, he's moving his feet. He's, he's a good eye test player right now. I mean, the numbers are not agreeing completely, but he's doing all of the right things, and he's getting rewarded already for it with that assist. One thing that looks different to me for him outside of the 23, which is definitely a good look on his jersey now as opposed to the kind of it's, funky 34. It was, it was so damn confusing at first to see 23. I kept thinking it was because I'm so <laughs> Well, used he to just looks like be- a different player. I mean, the, everything about him. Well, the thing with him that I've noticed is that I think physically he's matured a bit because he does look a little quicker. He's quicker to get on the puck when it's a loose puck. He looks a little stronger. I think that giving him it, it gives him more time. You know, we talk. I mean, we've talked about this on previous shows, but with Daryl Belfry, you know, f- famous skills coach, talking about what's your signature skill? Okay, you have your main skill, but then you need other skills to layer on top of that, so so that you can really bring out your main attribute. And so for Sam Steele, he is a smart player, and I think that he's got a good hockey sense. But when you're when you're so far behind the curve athletically, it's going to be really difficult to bring that out if you're not just insanely talented. And so for him, being a little quicker, being a little stronger, it's giving him the time and the space or allowing him to create the time and the space 
to find his line mates to create those plays. And so I think he also changed something about his stick. I think it's either the lie or the length. Something looks a little different about his stick. That type of analysis you'll only find here, folks. I swear to God, I think his stick, (laughs) the length changed a bit. Something changed there. It's possible. I mean, these guys now have really specialized coaching. and If you you listen to the interview with Adam Oates on the 31 Thoughts podcast, you will know that very quickly, that this kind of stuff matters. Doesn't Adam Oates want want to get everyone with a toe curve or something like that? Well, he wants everyone to use the P92 curve because it's like the most neutral curve. And then he also wants his, his uh, pupils to use white tape so that after their sessions are over, he can look at where the marks are to see that, how, how they're using their stick. That is really smart, actually. And no, really, but get really this. Smart. He also makes sure that the, that the ice, well, I mean, this isn't really something that he does, but he makes sure that the ice is, is zammed or zambonied before so that he can also analyze where the cut marks are when they're doing their drills to see how their how their movement is aligning and, he, and if they're cutting properly. I mean, this these are all really smart, heady things for him to do. It makes I mean, I don't know how much sense. this stuff actually matters, but it sounds like it makes sense. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> it does. It does. It checks out. But yeah, well, I mean, anyway, play, players mess with their sticks all the time, and I mean, if you've ever played, you know how much of a difference playing with I think, a different curve has. I think his much, stick. Uh, I think his stick is a little longer now because uh, he looks long- more upright. Well, a longer stick, shorter stick, a lot of things like that, it really does make a difference when you're playing it, and you notice it. And so I know Fowler a couple years ago, the, the season he they scored. Stick. I thought he made a stick longer and made it stiffer, and so he was getting heavier shots on net, and that led to a lot of uh, a lot well, more no, goals that, from him. We know that like was that. just shooting percentage of variance. True. But anyway. Fair. Fair. <laughs> no, just kidding. But um, anyway, all this to say that Sam Steele looks a lot better, and – Outside of that, in that game, we're going to move on to the second game soon. We have some something quick to talk about before that. But just to wrap up on this game, a couple of other things that I did want to hit. The Getzlaff line. I think that Getzlaff had one really, I mean, just kind of a vintage Getzlaff uh, pass. Outside of, of course, his assist. Spinning backhand, kind of no-look pass to Danton Heinen. Although it was a really nice play between the two because before Getzlaff makes that pass... Heinen is at the top of the circle or top of the slot and you see them kind of, they make eye contact and then Heinen cuts to the net and as he's charging to the net, then Getzlaff turns around and slings that backhand pass. But just to be able to execute that pass is, yeah, it, it, it takes a high degree of skill, hockey IQ and confidence, which Getzlaff is not lacking in any of those. Um, Heinen wasn't able to bury it because it's a left-handed shot. He was, he got it on his backhand, kind of a tough play to finish off. But I like Danton Heinen next to Ryan Getzlaff because he, although he's not, he's definitely not the most skilled line mate that Getzlaff's ever had. He does have a good motor and he does have a decent enough hockey sense to where, as you saw in that play, he can keep up with Getzlaff's own ability to read the play. And that's going to be important moving forward. Yep. 100% agree. And I think that Danton Heinen overall look, look solid. I, have, I think that's the best way we, to put it. Who have we not mentioned on that line so far? Or not really broken down too much. The, the the third player on that line, which is the one that was a bit of a surprise, is Isaac Lundestrom, and he was kind of invisible um, throughout the the game. He just he really didn't look comfortable on the wing. I think is the best way to put it. it almost seemed like his posi- He didn't always know where his positioning should be, specifically in the defensive zone um, as a winger instead of center. And anytime the puck ended up on his stick. It just didn't seem like he he had the confidence to be able to make a play with it and was just kind of defaulting to making a safe play, which isn't necessarily mm -hmm. a bad thing. But when you're playing with Ryan Getzloff, 
he he still has the creativity to create chances, and you got to be able to get there. Yeah, I think with Lundestrom, he looked just out of his element in that game. I mean, if you go back and watch just the games he played during the break in the Allsvenskan, where I mean, it, the 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 pace is of the game compared to the NHL. It's like watching the NHL on triple slow-mo. I mean, and then you factor in the bigger ice. So that's where he's coming from right now. And yeah, sure, he had a camp and he has AHL experience, but he just looked out of his element. And he would he made these very low percentage plays where he would skate into the offensive zone, try to take a guy one-on-one when he's really the only duck that's already in the zone, and try to make a move where, okay, if you get past him, great, but you're still at that point one-on-two. Maybe you have an additional line mate or two in the zone, uh, and then he just wouldn't he he wasn't able to execute those moves anyway, and the play would just die on his stick, and that happened a couple of times. And I guess good that he has the confidence to try to get to try to beat guys one on one, but it felt like some of the hockey sense that we've seen from him in the past, being able to find his line mates, just wasn't really there. It just felt like the game was just too fast for him, and uh, that's yeah. that's not a good sign because even though it's just one game, hashtag it's just one game, it's the Ducks need these points now. They they don't have time to... Yep. And, and this is why, again, putting Zegras in the AHL mix is just so baffling to me because you have Lundestrom there, who is by no means, even though he's maybe quote-unquote safer, is by no means an established talent in the NHL. And that's what you saw in Game 1. He really didn't do much of anything. And if anything, he was a negative, as you saw on the goal loud, where he just kind of lost his man. Or, or couldn't read that Heinen was switching. And by the time he kind of picked up on it, the puck was in the back of the Ducks net. So yeah, what, and, and there wasn't was, high I mean, on him in game one. I mean, it's just a, I mean, it's hard. It's easy to, to make that comparison of, Hey, here's a left wing slot. This is the exact or even spot. Sonny that, Milano. <laughs> well, no, but this, this is the exact spot that Trevor Zegras would come into. But yes, there's an easy swap. Also of Sonny Milano, who mm-hmm. is on the Ducks roster currently because he is not waiver exempt. So he has to be on the roster because, and they're afraid they'll probably lose him to, uh, to waivers. Maybe this was a play. I mean, maybe this is a situation where Dallas Akins thought that if they were going to win, they would have to really have a safe player there, different things like that. So he well, thought Lundestrom he was the better just, play over Milano. He, let, let's face it. He probably just scored a couple goals in a scrimmage. But and that, probably. And, and that really just sold everybody. No, it's... He's, it's, he's got to play. He's got to it, play. It's it's definitely possible. I'm definitely trying to overanalyze also, it by trying Isaac, to figure out Isaac why. Isaac Lundestrom, terrible tape job. Terrible tape job. Hot he, take right there. He only tapes... The, he's got the Cali of tape job. Oh, really? He does, yes. It's a little more than Kaliev. It's more oh, than one strip. I, I know. It's, which one. It, it's the one. Yeah, now I got it's it. It's like the one three that strips with, at the it's toe. It's just the toe. It's just the toe. Yeah, I am not a fan of that. But it, it's it's an even more extreme version of that. Okay, right. let's let's wrap up on this game uh, very real, quickly. Real quick. For, mm-hmm. Let's just really quick wrap up fourth line and then quick impressions of the D. So fourth line, I thought they were fine. They were on the ice for a goal against overall I mean, Nicolas Delorier get, get, getting his scoring chances. They, they got some chances definitely for, um, I think that they probably played a little bit too much still in this game at 1034. Not quite sure why they played, uh, play, played that much as a whole, especially when you're trailing in a game, especially I can remember it was down in the final 10 minutes. Um, they also play uh, out of every TV timeout. It feels 
but after in the final 10 minutes it felt i think the steel line only got three shifts and i think i saw the grant line get more shifts than that so it was really puzzling there i feel like dallas akins thinks that that line is matchup proof because he puts them out there after tv timeouts pretty regularly and when you're the away team that means that the other team gets to see that those players on the ice and then decide who they're going to put out and um you're not really setting yourself up that well for success doing that i don't think Yep, agreed. All right, early returns before we get into the game on the the D pair. So Lindholm, Shattenkirk. I was thoroughly impressed. Thoroughly yeah, impressed. I mean, Kevin Shattenkirk, you know, his the way that he plays the game, it's not flashy. It's not going to necessarily bring you out of your seats your seat every night, but very solid, very smart player. And I think he's already making Hampus Lindholm's life a lot easier. I think Hampus Lindholm's enjoying this quite a bit. I thought Hampus Lindholm looked really good in game he did. 1. That I mean, looked like he that looks looked faster. Like a, that looked like a legit top pairing NHL uh, defense pair on a legit team. Also, like that was a really good D pair in that game. Generated play it was a really good, really good game for them. Fowler Manson, on the other hand, not so good. Extremely shaky. Just yes. And this is something that held up in game two, which we'll talk about. But just never felt settled in. Never looked like they were on the same page when they were breaking the puck out. And that's going to be something that they need to figure out in the next week. I mean, at most, because they can't, I mean, they can't afford to have their second pairing be this shaky. And and that's just how it felt. You know, at times they looked okay. At times Fowler would maybe get a nice rush, but Josh Manson's positioning, I think that he just, it, it's like his compass is off or something because he will make these pinches he will make these attempts at open ice hits when there's just no reason to do it. And at one point it gave the, the Golden Knights a 2 on 0 because he tried to hit someone in open ice that Fowler had already covered. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just a bit of rust there. Maybe it's just the time off. But the clock is ticking, firmly ticking for those yep. two. Yep. And then Larson, Hawk, and Paul. Uh, this game was not that great for them. I thought that Larson, it looked like the puck just became a grenade every time it hit a stick. It just looked like he couldn't do anything with it, um, that he would just fumble it every time. Hawkenpaw, I thought, on the other hand, looked okay. I mean, he wasn't yeah. he wasn't spectacular, but he did a good job of killing a few plays, using his frame to, to uh, hold guys up along the wall. And when he had opportunities to make passes out of his zone or in the neutral zone, I thought that he was just okay, which... On balance, that pairing was was just okay. I mean, they broke even in shot attempts, which is a big, uh, which is huge for them. Expected goals, not nearly as good, but overall, it, it wasn't a terrible night for those two. Yep, agreed. So, before we jump into the next game, let's have a, a word from our sponsor. Yep, let's just get right into it. So, there are a lot of things that you'd probably like to leave behind in 2020. I think that. We can all agree with that. One of the most important, though, being your old underwear drawer. If you're rolling into the new year with the same bunching, chafing, and uncomfortable underwear that you've got, you've got to check out Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is an essential piece of my new daily routine. I mean, they've been supporting the show for a little bit now, Jake. And for me, at least, someone who doesn't really shop a whole lot for clothes, it's a bit of an Achilles heel of mine. Uh, it's 
it's been an absolute game changer, just the versatility of some of the products that we've been getting so far. Yeah, it, it's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I absolutely have loved my Ace sweatpants. They're absolutely fantastic. I actually now have two pairs of them um, and wear them all the time around the apartment. Uh, just really, really great loungewear. I mean, you uh, you actually texted me today that you were rocking your Sunday lounge pants. Yeah, so a couple of products that I highly recommend. Um, so one is that you just mentioned, the Sunday lounge pant. I wear it every Sunday because that's what the product is called. And it looks just, it, it looks clean enough to where you could go and, hey, maybe if you're a Sunday funding type person, you could go get your mimosas or whatever you got to and look like you're put together. But if you're just sitting on the couch watching football, fighting off the Sunday scaries, whatever it may be, uh, they are extremely comfortable for that. But the the pant that I really want to vouch for is the um, the radius pant. You know, for me, and this would probably apply to a few of our listeners who are working from home, I wear it during the day as I'm working in my little home office, and it makes me feel like I'm somewhat at work. They're, they're very nice. They're very professional looking. But then once I'm done with work and I go down to my home gym, they're also designed so that you can wear them in the gym as well. And with also using Mack Weldon's underwear, very comfortable and especially those radius pants though. I just cannot recommend them enough. And I know that this doesn't, this, this might sound a little braggy or maybe doesn't matter to some, but I get, I actually get compliments on them and that's not something that happens to me in the clothing I usually wear. I've had people ask me, Hey, where'd you get those pants? So that's where you can get them with Mac Weldon. But Jake, yeah, the, let, let's hear the, some more of the details though. Yeah. Well, there's also some, I mean, you can get plenty of stuff. Obviously you and I both love the pants, but I mean, we also I have socks, underwear, shirts um they they have a lot of different versatile options there and like you said you can wear them uh with working out you can wear them going out you can wear them to lounge around you can wear them on going out on a date basically mac walden is going to be there for you uh throughout your everyday life and they have a wide range of customized customized fabrics that can keep up with you no matter what your day like day looks like whether it's their 8 18 hour fabric their silver fabric their air knit and and a whole bunch of other different materials and on top of that they have a really awesome Weldon Blue um, loyalty or uh, Weldon Blue program. It's totally free loyalty program. Level one gets you free shipping for life. Once you reach level two by spending two hundred dollars, you'll get twenty percent off every single order for the next year. Mac Weldon wants you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep them and they'll still refund you, no questions asked. So, for twenty percent off your first order, which hey twenty percent. That's that's a pretty solid deal. Visit MacWeldon.com slash CTP. So like our website, like our podcast, Crash the Pond, and enter promo code CTP when you check out. That's MacWeldon.com slash CTP, promo code CTP for 20% off. MacWeldon reinventing men's basics. So on that note, should we uh, should we try to reinvent how game two went for the Ducks? Because uh, it didn't we- go too great. We could try, but I'm not sure if we'll be successful there. <laughs> so I think that, I don't know, is this game harder to swallow? Or is this game, are you more down on how that game went than game one went? Because I feel like game one was easier to write off than how game two went. Um, I don't know. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm completely wrong about that. It's tough because, honestly, game two, I was really expecting... It's almost like you could feel that that first goal from Vegas coming late in the game, and you kind of expected them to tie it up with the way that the game was going. And so, 
I, I think at least just from my perspective, I take that the Ducks got a point out of this two-game set as mm-hmm. being a major positive, and now there may be others out there that say, no, they had a chance to win, and they blew it, all this stuff. They mm-hmm. had a one nothing lead. But realistically, you can't expect the Ducks to be able to shut out Vegas. I just don't think that that's a logical conclusion to be able to make. And so I, I think that the fact that they were able to ink out or get out a point in this game is a very big positive. So I think from the perspective of swallowing the game, I think that there this was a much more positive result. Having said that, I actually think game one, the Ducks played better. I think part of that is granted they were trailing for part of it, but I don't think the Ducks really ever got on the front foot in this game. It felt like the entire game they were kind of on the back foot got a goal and then really just tried to defend the hell out of the game. Whereas at least in, in game one, they were on the front foot trying to push. I actually disagree with that a little bit. Okay. Um, But so just to clarify, so the ducks dropped that one two to one in overtime, Max Contois stays hot, gets his third goal in two games and sets some kind of franchise record doing that. Um, One of those obscure ones, but still a record nonetheless gets uh, his third goal in the second period and it was off of quite the play. I mean, it's a play that you'll probably never see again, if we're being honest. <laughs> so, and this all started, by the way, tweeted out this little this play on, on Twitter today, but Sam Steele, first off, knocks down uh, a neutral zone pass from the Golden Knights, b- prevents them from really transitioning, and then tracks back correctly, gets to a spot, recovers the puck, and then as he's being pressured, just makes that split-second decision, feathers the puck over to Jacob Larson, who's open, and then down they went. Jacob Larson, Yanni Hockenpah, and Max Contois on a three-on-one. Name me a more threatening and dangerous trio than those three. I don't think I could name any, to be honest. I mean, that, I, went back. I would be shaking into my boots if I was Marc-Andre Fleury there. I went back and rewatched that rush a couple times oh, today. Oh, God. Just, it, it, it is... Larson is so close to losing L- that Larson puck. looks surprised that he was in that position. He almost he almost lost the puck, like you said, like a two few or times. three times. Two yeah. or three times. He he looked. Granted, once he got to the faceoff dots, he actually looked pretty solid, and then made a really great pass. To yeah, he, he just to had to, to finish he, it. He just had to get there. That's all. It yeah, is. but it, it almost looked like Bambi trying to figure out how to walk. <laughs> well, here's the thing with Larson. We're talking about sticks earlier. I think his stick is too long. It's possible. I, and I think he holds his bottom hand way too close to his top hand. And, and I think that's why he 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 fumbles so many passes. His his first touch, something we've talked about, his first touch is is really problematic because he never seems to be able to make a play right off it. But anyway, on this play, first touches be damned. He was able to corral it. And, you know, maybe he lulled it. Maybe it was all in a, a, a ploy <laughs> an to elaborate, lull. An elaborate play. Lull to the defender to sleep so that, you know, they wouldn't notice that Max Contois had snuck in on the back door. Uh. He lasers it over to Contois, who pots it. And that would give the Ducks a one nothing lead. Now, in the first period, John Gibson, I mean, had to stand on his head. And I think that, yeah. that that first period should quell any doubts of is John Gibson, can John Gibson still be John Gibson? Because... The Ducks, I mean, from every perspective, were just awful in, in period one. They were yeah. outshot attempts at 27 to 13, scoring chances 18 to 6, high danger chances 6 to nothing, expected goals 1.34 to 0.25. I mean, just any metric, whether it's the numbers, eye test, they look bad. But John Gibson, I mean, he, the funny thing is that he never, it was a very Carey Price esque 
performance because he never looked like he was really compromising himself. He was it was kind of the opposite of what we've seen from Gibson maybe in years past where he's flailing around a bit and still making the saves, but he was just very controlled post to post, conservative in his movement. And, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use the trope because it's incorrect that a lot of other analysts will say, Oh, he was really confident standing at the top of his paint. No, it wasn't that he was just controlled and it paid off for the ducks in that period. allowed them to survive. But Felix an NHL scouter NHL GM told me in an article on the athletic that John Gibson never works on his game and he's just reluctant and his game has never changed. Yeah, I don't think that person actually <laughs> wa- has watched John Gibson. I mean, or maybe they, they've probably, this is probably the downside of being an insider is that you hear stuff and then it clouds your analysis. They maybe heard something about Gibson and all yeah. of a sudden they're just basing everything off of that. Whereas if you use your own eyes and use maybe some, some supplemental data, you will see that, hey, this guy's uh, pretty good pretty good at what he does and he was great in that first the only downside to him in the very beginning of the first period was i thought his rebound control was slightly suspect but he cleaned that up real quick and was able to track the puck really well on his rebounds no he he the nitpick of all nitpicks it is a very big nitpick but that is the only thing that i've noted i noticed in that was that he left some pucks uh, laying out in front of the crease but he was able to track or maybe maybe his rebound control looks bad because his team isn't able to recover rebounds that is a very good point and potentially the the correct answer right there but the yeah that that first little bit from Vegas Vegas realistically should have scored there if that game happens against any other goalie on any well, other that, night, they probably score that first period was like how the first period in game one could have played out that's yes. how the first couple minutes went and how you thought it was going to keep going but the Ducks managed to stop the tide in this one it just kept going and hey this is part of the recipe for the Ducks it's not pretty it's not ideal it's certainly not what's optimal long term, but John Gibson is part of their equation. And yes. when you have this, when you have this going on in your net, this elite level goaltending, you have a chance. This is part and, of what could get the Ducks into the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, I want to give them some credit for this game. I don't love the strategy. It was very much a Randy Carlisle esque. Well, let, let's uh, let, the, for, let's first move to period two. Because I think this okay. is this is kind of a tale of this is truly a tale of three periods. All right. Um, period two, which you seem to maybe have overlooked. I don't know. Maybe maybe you you went for a, a bathroom break that lasted an entire period. I don't know. But the Ducks won the shot attempt battle nineteen to sixteen in period two. Scoring chances were three to one, uh, or sorry, high danger chances were three to one, and scoring chances were fifteen to seven. You know, and the Ducks didn't look like they were dominating play, but. They were more than than holding their own in that period, and that's when they got the goal from Max Contois. True, so true, fair. I thought that that period was by far their best period of this, we'll, we'll call it a series. I thought that that was their best period so far because not only were they hanging in there, but they were even thriving a bit. Oh, are, are we talking about just this game or this two-game slate? I'm talking about just the second period when you compare it to the entire, the, the, the two games we've seen so far. I think Ooh, that... I think- I I would actually say the second period of the first game they were they played a significant amount better. That was uh, the period where they, I think they really started taking control and getting on the front foot. Whereas yes, I think that you are right. They they did have the better of the the scoring chances and the well the they shot got metrics. they got outchanced in the second period of game one. Uh, no, they didn't. Well, uh, sorry well, from from high danger they got they got outchanced. So I'm purely looking at expected goals for they were point six five four point three eight against in game one. This one point three one. Uh, 
0.31 against 0.55. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Speed. Let's just say that they they had they, two. That that second period was a good was one of their better periods of yes. this series. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. And and, uh, and and you know maybe the the second period of game one was they, what they the looks they did get were maybe just way higher quality, but this one I thought that it was just like a steadier kind of just a steadier effort. Um, but then the problem was they got that lead. They got that 1-0 lead and they went into this third period and it felt like they were just trying to kill the clock until the buzzer sounded and then they were trying to win the game 1-0, which in the modern NHL, I mean, forget even the modern NHL, just like the last 15 years of the NHL, um, it's really hard to win a game 1-0. And it's really, and it's even harder to do it, even if you have John Gibson net, it's really hard to do it against the Vegas Golden Knights who... If nothing else, they're going to pour it on when when they're the team that's trying to catch up. They are able to do that. Yeah, yep, definitely. And, I mean, I want to give the Ducks some credit here. And yeah. I don't think this is a, a good strategy that's going it's, it's to lead to uh, lead to success. Mm-hmm. But I think at 5-on-5 five five through the third period, yes. the Ducks had a pretty good defensive zone well, strategy. Well, that's the thing, is they actually were pulling it off. They, yes. they, I, I will like, and I, I, I guess maybe I mischaracterized it a little bit. I don't agree with the overall thought process, but they were pulling it off. I mean, Vegas was not getting a whole lot of quality up until the very end. <laughs> yep. Yep. Up until they basically had a, a, had their goalie pulled and had a six on five. And that's kind of the thing here is the ducks did a good job in the neutral zone and defensive zone, keeping things to the outside, making it very much a one and done situation for, for Vegas and really trying to kill off the game. The issue is, is when you're doing that, you're inviting pressure, you're inviting shots against. And even if you're doing a good job of keeping it to the outside, all it takes is one mistake. And if you're allowing more chances against you're, making the opportunity for those mistakes to happen. Basically you're allowing for more opportunities for those mistakes to happen. But, and mm-hmm. that that's the issue here with the strategy is that you're, you're inviting those chances against. And once Vegas got the extra man, that was when a mistake happened. And that's when Adam Henrique lost his man in the slot. Yep. Ba- um, pretty, pretty badly, pretty badly. And Vegas was able to finish that chance and that ended up tying the game. And so Instead mm-hmm. of trying to get on the front foot and attacking with some pressure, getting some offensive zone time, potentially going for the second goal as compared to trying to win the game one nothing, um, it it did basically- fe- it did feel like a collective decision to play that way from the start of the oh, third. Oh yeah, it it yeah, didn't 100%. feel like they ever intended to play it any any differently. But again, you know when we're talking about one game, you it is important to also focus a bit on the execution, and they did execute well. I mean, look at it this way: at five on five. In that third period, the Golden Knights had one high danger opportunity, so that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good when you consider score effects. And so, I mean, I think that the the Ducks, if you kind of combine maybe the, the the good stretches of the third, the second, the second in game one, you, there is some growth in their game. It's not going to be pretty all the time, but there is a there is at least a degree of competence that they're able to achieve now that I don't think that they have, that they were capable of last year. Yeah, I, I think so also. I think the overarching kind of issue with this team throughout this game wasn't necessarily a defensive zone issue. It was more so chance generation, I think, on the whole for the, for this game. But let's wrap up this recap. So the, the Golden Knights ended up tying it, and the game goes into overtime. 
And it ended pretty quickly after that. Seven seconds. Seven seconds or less offense is a basketball term, but it looks as though the uh, the Golden Knights definitely implemented it here. Off the drop, the the uh, Anaheim forwards just kind of thought that the puck was going forward, I guess, and it definitely didn't. It went the other way. Turns into a two-on-one for the Golden Knights. Goes across the ice to Pacioretty. He's not going to make any mistake from that slot, from that spot, and that would end the game. So I'm not really going to dissect too much what happened there. It's three-on-three. Three. It's it's pretty much a gimmick, uh, as much of a gimmick as the shootout. Of course, yep. you want, of course, if you're a Ducks fan, you want to see them execute better in that situation. But it's a fluky endeavor. Three-on-three three is, and I just. I don't have a whole lot to say about that. I just I just don't. <laughs> yep, I don't really either. Players made mistakes. Goals were scored against by and, and uh, that's, a and more that's three three. team. I mean, that's the round three. You make one mistake, and that could potentially cost you, whether it comes seven seconds in or whether it's, you know, the full five, you know, the full four and whatever minutes, it's still, it can still turn into flash. So, yep, exactly. Now, before we get into a bit of the, the roster or just some of the, the how the individual players performed in this game, what did you think of the Vegas Golden Knights uh, golden oh, third jerseys? I'm they're gonna, bad. Yeah. They're really bad. The, they they remind me of the, the Nashville mustard jerseys. I don't know if you remember those yep. too uh, intently, but oh, that I was, I think, the third jersey in like 06, 07, or maybe 05, well, 06 well, the, the, was the when it was. The funny thing is I don't hate the jersey itself necessarily. I just think the uniform looks really lazy. Because they, well, they, it's their they, main jersey. It's their main jersey recolored. Well, I mean, they just they slapped on their away gloves. They have their home helmet, and yeah, they have some new socks. But it just kind of looks a bit. It just looks like okay. We'll just slap some gold on it, and it'll sell with our fans. You know, it's, it's yeah. It's it's not great, and especially I don't know if it's the lighting in their arena, but it they, it doesn't look that golden. Um, but apparently, according to the Vegas you know beat writers uh it's very bright in person so that's important um, i mean jerseys do look different in person as compared to on tv yeah and, and when you look at I, the still images they do i think look a lot better it's just on tv it just doesn't come across the same way yeah and i think that i mean the ducks orange jersey is a good example of this i think on tv it almost looks more red but in person it looks very much kind of a lighter shade of orange so maybe it is that situation but regardless just from watching the game on tv it looks like mustard. It does not look like gold. Maybe in person it looks a little bit better, but Mark Andre Fleury actually, with the gold pads in the jersey though. I actually like the fact that they use the white gloves because I like the flashiness of it, but the jerseys the jerseys are bad. No, no, you got to go even you got to go even further. You got to go gold go gloves. Go gold. Gold gloves. That that gold and they need to be the like you know how the gloves used to be more Get some reflective glitter on than that. You know how they're more matte now than oh, they are? Oh, yeah. Uh, I know exactly so what you're talking about. Yeah. You, you've got to have them be the shiny, like, leather Like the tour gold. gloves from back in the day. Yes. Yeah. yeah you you, you got to do that with uh, with the gloves for it. They, yeah, it's a They're bit. cowards. It's a they're bit. cowards. Yeah, they're cowards, clearly. Okay, let's get into some of the lines, though, and then we'll we'll do some big picture talk and some questions and emails. Um, let's do the forwards. You want to start with the forwards? Or let, let, let's, yeah. Let, let's go net out. Let's go net out. Let's, let's make it switch it up a little bit. I mean, we've already so, talked about it, but John Gibson was awesome. Yeah, Don't. John Gibson was was great. He, I think, was like 0. .7 GSAX on the night, and that was with allowing the two goals. So 
picture if he would have somehow maintained the shutout it would have been what like two and a half or something like that gsax so very very good night for john gibson showed kind of the form that he had a couple years ago and if he can continue this form they have um, a chance the ducks the, the ducks have a chance now third pairing yanni hawk and paw jacob larson so larson picking up the assist um i thought that they were much better in this game than in game one I mean, you yep. know, the the numbers are kind of all over the place with them, but if you look purely at expected goals, 59.23% on the night. I think part of that is driven by um, maybe the Larson assist, the play where he was on the ice for that. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. what the shot probability was, the expected goal it, was for the Contois. I think goal. it was like 0.2 or 0.3. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's happened in the, in the crease, but still, he was on the ice for that. You got to give him credit. It's one game. And um, I thought that they looked better overall in this game. Still, you know, there's still going to be some bumps in the road, but it's it's a step up from what we've seen from him in the past. And I do think that Hockenpah is driving some of that because he yeah. he definitely looks more sound uh, when yep. he has the puck than Larson does. Yep, definitely agree. And I think that this is a much better pairing. Um, one thing I want to mention, I was curious to see if maybe they would look at taking Jacob Larson out after having a very poor first game. Um, they actually ended up calling up Andy Walensky off the taxi squad and putting Cody Coran on the taxi squad. So I was trying to figure out if maybe there was a reason for this, if Walensky would draw in for Hawkeye. turns out they didn't do it. But one thing I noticed on the broadcast, uh-huh. I found it, it interesting, and I this is going to bring in a wrestling trope. So sorry, Felix. But there there's something kind of people that will, will watch WWE say, if you listen hard enough to the commentators, they'll tell you the story before it happens uh-huh. or they'll tell, they'll tell you what's going to happen. If they're, if they mention something then maybe that will come back later with a surprise kind of jump in or something where like that. Going? This is going where I thought the broadcast was very specifically talking about Jacob Larson and saying how this is a big season for him, how he's improved, how he's all this different type of stuff. And the broadcast for the ducks at times can carry water for the organization and I think that this was done with the clear intent of trying to raise Jacob Larson's um, profile a bit with maybe Ducks fans in the sense of I think that Larson is going to be in the lineup for majority of the season is kind of my takeaway from they, that. They are they desperately want him to be what they think he can be. <laughs> Correct. And, and that's kind of where I'm going with this is that I feel like the broadcast crew really putting that out there. They're, they're is speaking, they're trying that. to speak it into existence. Exactly. Exactly. And that, so that is always what you want. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a couple elite booming shot, uh, things in the Twitch chat. So people want to see that, that Cody Coran well, elite I, booming I, shot. Once Ben Hutton is going to be able to play, I'm just curious what, where that's going to go because, Oh, we'll get into that. Cause I have some wild thoughts that came into my head as we started the show. Oh, oh dear. That I had not that I had not thought about until uh, until we started. Okay, well let's uh, let's just work our way up here to the lineup. So Fowler Manson, I mean, this was an awful awful game for them. I mean, they just some impressively bad numbers. I mean, eight percent expected goals for percentage. Love to see that. Twenty seven point two seven shot attempt percentage. They were on the ice for nine shot attempts for and twenty four against, which uh, is a lot. And they didn't, they just didn't do anything well. And, and Fowler, I mean, he, this goes back to game one a little bit, but, or sorry, game two, this was in game two. Sorry, they're they're kind of blending together, but uh, on the power play, just some really, some mind boggling decisions, you know, shooting the puck into the pads of the penalty killers and then missed assignments, you know, some botched pinches 
that are leading to, to uh, on-man rushes for the Golden Knights. He looks extremely shaky. He's definitely not uh, looking like 2019-20 Fowler. No. Look more no. like 2018-19 Fowler. And then Manson, I mean, we talked about it already in game one, but they just don't look in sync at all, but either as a pairing or individually. And that's that's troubling. Now, I will say, and of course, feel free to add your own thoughts here, but I, I am still willing to give this a bit of time because they are, in theory, two quality NHL defensemen mm-hmm. and if given the opportunity, I think that they can work it out. I just think that their play styles are so frenetic that it's going to, they're just going to have to figure out how to kind of bounce off each other. And it's, they're just not there yet. Clearly. Now, how much patience do the ducks have in allowing that for happen? Well, that's a different story. Yeah. And and I think that I agree completely. I think that you need to give it a little bit more time. I think two games, especially against Vegas is not enough. I I think you need to give them, I would say the two games against Minnesota at least. Um, see how they perform if they, against if they the can't, Wild. If they can't look good there, then I think that's when you... Or if they can't even look Agreed. respectable there, let's forget good, just just okay, then that's where you have to start asking questions because after that you play Colorado. Yeah, exactly. We because they were god-awful. We just and, put and, up and an here's, burger on St. Louis. Well, and here's the issue is that you would want Cam Fowler to be the guy that would potentially match up against Nathan McKinnon because he's probably the, the only guy on the Ducks defense that can potentially keep up with Nathan McKinnon if he gets it into open ice. Now, keep up is the key word. I don't think he can really outskate him, but he can potentially stay yeah. with him at least. And so I, I think that it's you got to figure out what you have there, and I think you need to give it a couple more games to see. But we've talked about it. This is a short season. If the Ducks you are gotta, truly you, in win-now mode. you got to be ruthless. If they're truly in win-now mode, you need to be able to make your decision decisions and make changes to them quickly to, to get wins. Yeah, you, you, and, and that you, was yeah. – that, Mm-hmm. That was honestly my biggest confusion going into this game was the fact that we didn't see any changes. The fact that the Ducks lost 5-2, and now granted they had some positives, but there were absolutely well, no I mean, changes to the I, lineup. I could have told you that that was coming because at, when I first saw, when I when I first, after game one, I was thinking, yeah, there's got to be changes that's already looking bad. But then I rewatched some of the shifts, like for Lundestrom, for example, and there was nothing so egregiously bad. That would lead you to make a change. And so for NHL coaches, I just think that they will not make changes unless things are clearly not working or things are just going horrendously bad. And they also have the built-in excuse of, hey, it's been so long. um, We need to give it time, which is not completely unreasonable. No, you know, If you believe in a combination, you want to see it through to to some degree, right? I mean... It's still not the, these are still not some of the combinations I would have, but give it an honest yeah. go, I guess is what I'm yeah. trying to say here. So for Manson Fowler, I think they fall more into that category. I still think there's enough potential there, um, but well, the problem is that they just didn't they didn't give any confidence in him those first yeah. two games. Yeah, and, and I think Fowler. I mean, we saw Fowler last year. Fowler was the Ducks' best defenseman last year. Yep. And I don't think that's really even that controversial of a statement that he was that good for them last year. He made everyone he played with better. And so I'm willing to give him a little bit more leeway here to try to be able to bounce back from this poor, poor performance, but it can't be too long. And it may just be a situation where for for whatever reason, his game and Manson's game just don't work together. They don't mesh together, whether it's Manson having fallen off too much, a, a bunch of different things. But two seasons ago, they tried to force this uh, deep pair to happen. and It just didn't work. And yeah, we'll see. This might be that. We'll see. I'm 
you know, wait and see on that one. I, I know that there's already people that are screaming from the mountaintop to have Manson traded already, but let's let's give that some time. You know, I, I'll, I'll give it a few more games before draw, drawing some conclusions. Now, one thing that I think we can already confidently say, just because of the degree of difficulty with the matchup, Kevin Chadkirk and Hampus Lindholm. Very good. Pretty damn good. I mean, I test, they look solid. Kevin Chattenkirk, again, he's not the most athletic player. He's not the fastest skater. He's not the most physical, but his brain is, is at a very high level. He's so good. And he's a very slick passer. He's got good hands. And that just seems to go perfectly with Hampus Lindholm's kind of steady game. Hampus Lindholm looks rejuvenated, I think, just from a skating perspective. He's been chasing guys down, bodying guys off the puck. And their numbers really reflect that. I mean, shot attempts, not dominant in this game, 52.63%. So plus two on the night, just in raw totals. But then expected goals, so just shot quality. 60% of the expected goals when they were on the ice. High event, but still, just those two, we kind of already... We kind of already figured that they were going to be good together, but there were some questions about how Hampus Lindholm was going to fare because he did have a bit of a down year last year. And maybe it turns out that he wasn't the problem on that pairing. Who knows? Maybe. It's possible. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah. this pairing was so good. The thing with Kevin Chattenkirk, to to key in on him slightly, seeing as he is the newest Yeah, it's funny how he's kind of gone, flown under the radar a bit, but yeah. But he he was so, so good. And I think a couple of the plays that he made that really stood out to me were... There's a couple of really smart plays where, for instance, there was one where he was below the goal, uh, goal line. And I believe we I mentioned this when we did our live watch along of this for Patreon. Um, but he really just holds on to the puck for a split second and lets the guy go past him. And it's a, such a smart and little play and one that won't make a highlight reel, but allowed him to break out the zone uh, clean with possession uh, with a pass right afterwards. And it's those types of plays that are such small little plays, but make such a big difference. And that was what impressed me the most was his ability to break out the puck. And the other thing was his ability to pinch and pinch at the right time. And, and it doesn't seem like he really gets caught that much with his pinches. And I don't know if maybe it's just because he's more mature with his game than he was potentially maybe in New York. Um, but it just seems like he knows when the right time is to jump up into the play. And it seems like overall in the power play, he's just going to be such a steadying presence to oh, yeah. be able to to generate chances for this power play. The Ducks got maybe, what, four power plays over the two games, three or four? Yeah, um, not much. Nothing really stood out, to be honest with you. They didn't look great because especially, in, I think, game two, they gave up chances when they were on the power play. But when... Shattenkirk did get touches. You can just tell that he knows what he's doing out there. And we talked about this over the, the, the off season, but that is just such a big upgrade for the ducks on the back. And they just haven't had that, a true kind of puck moving defenseman. I, I know that Fowler, I know Fowler does that. And I know that, you know, there's people who will say, well, look at all his micro stats and how good he is at moving the puck. But Kevin Shattenkirk does that. And it bears out in the kind of macro level numbers. And I think that, he just kind of does it all, and it's it's good to see. And he, he has the kind of game where also you wonder, hey, even though he's he's getting a little bit up there in age, it seems like maybe he'll age a little more gracefully because this game isn't really predicated on any kind of high-end skating or, or physicality. Yeah, it really seems like his game is kind of more so based on positioning now mm-hmm. and, and timing, and that's something that can really stay with you later into his career. So really good to see i mean he's basically as good as advertised maybe even better to be honest oh yeah um i believe it was dom lucision or lucision however you pronounce his last name loose chicken um yeah loose chicken however you want to say it um that 
in the article for the athletic basically said he was the closest thing to an elite level defenseman or is an elite level defenseman. And a lot of people kind of push back saying what that, that doesn't make any sense, especially kind of it's in, in the, the shine with the ducks. It, it's the shine from Tampa and all this stuff. Uh-huh. And you look at how he played. I see why his model believes that he well, is very good. He's a good eye test player and he's a good numbers player. Those, yeah. those are the kind of guys you love to love to watch. Okay. Exactly. Let's get into the forwards. Uh, let's just go four through one. Let's just start with the fourth line. I mean, they played the most at five on five of any line. Maybe part of that was just because Dallas Aikens had them out there, you know, defending the lead and maybe saw them as the most fit to do that. They had okay numbers. I mean, shot attempt percentage, very, not great. Very low event. But, very low event. But, yeah, there's just not a lot happens when they're out there. Hey, Nick Delorier still getting his scoring chances once again. But this line, even though – like, this is the thing with this line. I think that they're fine in what they do. They, they, they are a fine fourth line. But for whatever reason, the coaching staff is just featuring them in a way that they are not suited for, or that is not they, op- that is not they, optimal for this roster. They they played the most minutes out of any forward line in this game, and I would assume, and if hey, you want to try to maybe that's lo- part of the reason why the Ducks didn't generate a ton of offense in the third period. <laughs> yeah, if you want to try to figure out why, I bet it's because. Dallas Akins, I think, views this line as his quote unquote shutdown. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Who else would he view as a shutdown line? Which is why they got the most minutes. And I bet if you looked at a shift chart, that a lot of those shifts where they got those extra minutes came in that third period. And to me, it's just it's baffling. I don't get it fully. I mean, they were fine in this game, no doubt. They, I think, they were better in this game. They, it was super low event, which is kind of what you want when you're trying to kill off a game. But it's just I don't get it. I don't get why this line's playing as much as they are. Yes, their expected goals numbers are solid right now, uh, as you'll see. But And credit to them. If that continues, then maybe they should be getting a bit more ice time. But they're still a fourth line, okay. and they're not going to be able to generate chances like other lines. So if you're trying to win a game, basically, you play them the most minutes if you're trying to not lose a game. If you're trying to win a game, you don't play them the most minutes. And I think that's a key distinction here. And I hope they continue the solid play, but we just have a big sample size right now that shows that they're not this line that we've seen and what we have right now so far this season is two games and it's small sample size. Well, look at it this way. This is the only line that was, that is returning from last season. This is the only known commodity that Dallas Akins has. And I think he's viewing it partially as for now, I'm going to lean into this line until I know what I have in the three other lines, which you can, you can definitely object to that logic, but that might be the explanation. The weird thing is, is realistically, you would think that Jacob Silverberg would be playing the most minutes when you're trying to kill off a game. Well, He's yeah. considered for, to be the, for, the, steady, example, the steady force. For example, you could have Silverberg with Grant and Delorier. I mean, you could upgrade the shutdown line, right? I mean, yeah. all due respect, Carter Rowney, there I go again with the all due respect, but, you know, get Silverberg on there. He's he's known to be in that role. He can do that. So, confusing. We'll see if this trend holds up. I am... I'm open to the possibility that this is kind of a short-term thing until the other lines kind of, kind of crystallize a bit because they're still they're still in their in their maiden voyage. Okay, let's uh, move on up here. Line three, uh, quote unquote, line three. Um, Danton Heinen, Ryan Getzlaff, Isaac Lindstrom. Now maybe that's line two for some. I'll just call them line three based on the performances. What did you think of these three in, in game two? Um. I thought it was a little bit more of the same. More of the, first of the game. same. They, yep. 
More, more of the same. Isaac Lundstrom still looked a little bit lost out there. He's just an, um, he's, he really is kind of like an island out there. You know, when the puck goes to him, you you just you're not going to see it again. Yeah, I mean, Getzloff had one really really good chance off a turnover that didn't end up going in the back of the net. But, yeah, um, that was really kind of it for this line thought, as a whole. I thought Heinen looked okay. I mean, once again, he looked okay. All, I, once again, yeah. I I believe in the combination of Getzloff Heinen. But I, you know, Getzlaff's playmaking chops and his offensive abilities are just really kind of—it's wasted. They're going to waste right now, and the Ducks—they don't have that. They don't have offensive talent in spades, so they should be looking to maximize what they do have. And I just think Lundestrom—it's gonna—it's gonna bear out on its own. I I think that maybe it'll take another game, another two games, another three. But I just don't see Dallas Aikens sticking with this combination because. He's not getting anything anything out of it right now. Especially when you have a ready-made option in Sonny Milano to be able to well, jump in there. Well, that's the thing, exactly, is that he has something that he can go back to. Now, to their credit, if you just look at their numbers, they, you know, from a scoring chance perspective, outchance the opposition 8-3. to three. Um, Expected goals perspective, 60% controlled when they were on the ice. So they're not sinking the team. It's not so much about that. It's just that the opportunity cost of having them together, you, well, you're leaving value on the table. Here's where looking at the raw expected goals numbers, I think, comes into play a bit more. In terms of expected goals for, they generated 0.17. Which was As, second least. Second least. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, the Sam Steele line in this game uh, contributed 0.32. So 0.17 expected goals is pretty much nothing. I mean, for instance... To, to go and back probably, at Max Comte. And probably a lot of that came from the Getzloff shot. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, for instance, the Max Comtois goal had about a 0.2, 0.3 expected goal. So that one chance alone from Comtois generated more expected goals for the team. Basically, what all, all expected goals is, just for anyone new How, listening yeah, that, that don't understand, what, what that means is basically there's a percentage based upon the historical shooting percentage of where the shots come from. And so if a shot comes from this specific location and potentially any other qualifiers that they can add in before that, they can look and say this shot has a 20% chance of going in regardless of shooter or goaltending talent. And so if it has a 20% chance of going in, that's a 0.2 expected goal total. Mm-hmm. And you kind of tally that all up because realistically overall, you should, if you end up with 1.0 expected goals, you should realistically have a goal by then. Yep. And so with that being said, out of all the chances that the gets offline had, there was a 17% chance cumulatively of a shot going in from that line as compared to a 32% chance from the steel line. So yeah, 32% is pretty good odds. Yeah. 17, not a lot. And to be honest, I mean, to, to compare briefly to Vegas, um, the top Vegas line had 0.68 expected goals for. Yeah. So, so like a really good totals above 0.5. Well, and that's the thing with that line and why I don't think that we're going to see them broken up right away is because they're not killing this team and NHL coaches, will always, almost always play it safe. And until that line proves to either be a liability or something else goes wrong, they are probably going to leave them together. Now, maybe we see Milano get inserted there as as soon as by the time we're listening tonight, Monday night, but I I don't know. I think that they get a little bit more run. I'm already personally ready to, to call it quits on that experiment. I just don't see anything out of Isaac Lindstrom. I don't think they have time to to let him develop on the fly i think that he actually would benefit from playing in the ahl again i just think that his game is clearly a bit of a step behind for the a for the nhl level okay let's uh let's let's talk about the veteran line before we get to the kid line because you know i think one will be a bit more enjoyable than the other who knows raquel henrique silverberg what did you think of that line 
Uh, Raquel had one really good chance, and outside of that, it was pretty much... Silverberg, a couple good looks, I would say. But it it was more of the same from the first game. They were better, I think, noticeably so. Um, And they... That shows when you're looking kind of at expected goals with 0.14s compared to 0.07, but still 0.14 is the lowest they, amount. They were for also the team. bad defensively. Yes, exactly. So it, it's yet another rough game. I still will add the the qualifier that they were matched up against Mark Stone and Alex Petrangelo for the majority of their minutes. Mm-hmm. But you need to see more from them. Well, that's. I mean, I kind of view them a bit almost exactly how I view Manson Fowler, where I think give that a bit more time. I think on on most nights they will be a, a plus a plus line a positive value line. You could argue already maybe that you should disperse some of them throughout the lineup as opposed to having all your eggs in one basket. But for now, I think that there's still plenty of time for them to to get that together, and they have shown in the past that they can make it work. So I don't know. I mean, yep. where do you stand on that? I I think you give them a little bit more time, but I think if it's not working, I think you definitely need to look at dispersing talent throughout the lineup a little bit more. Well, for for example, Silverberg would look great right now, I think, next to Getzlaff and Heinen because he just adds more of that ability to chase pucks. He is a willing shooter, and And he just gives a guy, a competent guy for Getzlaff to pass to. And I think that that allows Heinen to play on his natural left side because he's a left-handed shot as compared to playing on the right side. I don't know if that's something for Heinen that he'd prefer to play the left side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that allows that to happen. And so I, I think that it they deserve a couple more games, and we'll get into that in a bit uh, when looking ahead at the, the matchup against the Minnesota Wild with that being so important. I think that you give them that series. But I think outside of that, I think if they don't perform well, I think you got to look at switching things up. Well, another possibility is you could go Raquel with Getzlaff and Raquel Getzlaff Milano, for example, and just kind of have like an all-offense line and then you put Heinen with Henrik and Silverberg, and that kind of becomes your shutdown line a little bit, you know. So I think that that's that's something that I would consider, um, maybe more of a situational look. Now, okay, let's let's end this game, wrap up on a good on a good note. I would say again, although the numbers again are not great for this line, but Max Contois, Sam Steele, and Troy Terry, more of the same. I mean, when they're on the ice, good things tend to happen in the offensive zone. They generated the most expected goals for of any trio for the Ducks. Once again, Sam Steele making things happen with the puck. Troy Terry. Looking good. Max Contois, I thought, was not quite as good in this game, but he got a goal, which matters quite a bit. Um, But defensively, he had some lapses. Offensively, I thought that he was good at, you know, keeping the chains moving. Um, So overall, that line, I think it's a line that I would – I would imagine that Aikens will start to give more ice time to, right? I mean, they're they're the most productive by a lot. I don't know. I mean, he, here's the issue: there is he realistically should have uh, he realistically should have been giving them more ice time in both of these games, and yet they ended up playing the least amount of ice times in ice time in game two. Well, they you know, did not have they, them. They got to earn it, Jake. That's the thing. They got to earn it. But but counting but goals, counting goals doesn't actually earn it. Or sorry, scoring yeah, goals so, doesn't earn. <laughs> but but that's my point is realistically Dallas Aiken should have been playing them more. And I'm not quite sure what more they have to do to be able to earn ice time outside of score goals, generate well, chances, they, they gotta, be, the most notice, be the most noticeable line for the Ducks. Now, granted, I, I think if you're employing the strategy that the Ducks employed of trying to kill off a game, they also are allowing the most chances again. So maybe that they was weren't, part of the reason why they played. They weren't good defensively, played. I don't think, which is, a, yeah. which, is a, which is a fair reason not to put them out in those situations. Mm-hmm. 
But I would also argue that in the third period of a game where you're winning none, one nothing, put them out there to maybe get that second goal to be able to put ice on the or put ice on the game and really uh, finish the game off and not have to worry about defending the entire time. If you get that second goal, it becomes a much easier game. And, and so maybe stop worrying so much about really sitting back and playing a tight defensive structure and allow them to go out there and potentially get the goal. Maybe it burns you, sure. But at least you're allowing these players to be able to play their way. And now, granted, Dallas Aikens may come out and came, come back at me if I were to say that to him and say, hey, we're not in the, the business of getting these guys experience right now. We're in the business of winning. And while, sure, Lundestrom. that doesn't – that well, no, but sure, that that's not as for sure of a win. There There is the, the give and take, the risk well, reward that's the thing. Of, exactly. of putting those guys out. It's it's a much lower risk proposition to sit back on a one nothing yes. lead than go for the second goal. Exactly, and, and that's the thing that I guess we should maybe put out, especially for some people that are maybe newer listeners who aren't as accustomed to our, our tone and our, our tenor here, is that it is, of course, easier for us to sit back and say all this after it's happened, and we're not the ones that are calling the shots in game. And yeah, it's harder to accept that emotionally in the moment because it's stressful. Your job is on the line. There are other jobs on the line. Like there's a lot at stake here for Dallas Aikens. And so it's understandable to play it safe or at least what you perceive to be safe. But as we're kind of seeing already, that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't translate. It hasn't translated so far and that to, to wins. And so, they're going to have to adjust that at some point. I do think that right now this is the Ducks' best line, just offensively at least. I mean, I I don't think it's close, right? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, they they generate the, the most quality looks, and they also are able to do it the most consistently. It's only two games, but they have looked really good. And it's been, I mean, it's been cut and paste to what we've been saying for months, is that Troy Terry... He's a guy who is not going to necessarily shine or he's not going to become like an all-star level player, but he just he just keeps the chains moving. He gets that puck, gets it up ice, gets it to his line mates, gets it to them in, in higher leverage areas. He had a couple really good scoring opportunities as well in the series overall. Sam Steele is turning into, I mean, just a different player before our eyes. And Max Contois... You know, still some some warts in his game, but I just think that he he has he has that scoring touch. I mean, it's undeniable at this point. And if you can just surround him like they have so far, you're going to be able to get the most out of his out of his gifts. And once kind of his entire game is up to speed, then you're just looking at a really good line. And that's, I mean, that to me is the most exciting thing if you're a Ducks fan right now. Out of these two games, is that line because that I think that, that bodes well for the future. I think that line, well, specifically one play I want to mention is on the power play. Troy Terry had a really nice pass to spring Sam Steele in for basically a clean look against Flurry, and Flurry just made a really nice poke check yeah. on Sam Steele. But the the exciting thing for Ducks fans is, now I'm not trying to sell that line too high, which is why I'm putting it like this. That line has the potential to become a second line for this Ducks team for a long time. If the first line ends up being a Trevor's egress just, along just with someone else. Just a steady second line, yeah. A steady second line that can put up anywhere between 40 to 60 points, which is important to, to have players that can put up points in those range. A guy like an Adam Henrique comes I think to it, mind. I think it would, that, be, that puts up, it would be pretty cool if they ended up being kind of like a, you know, a mainstay line for, for a number of years because yeah. that's the goal of any franchise, right, is to have your, your drafted homegrown players become your mm-hmm. relied upon guys. So. Look, this is already an upgrade because we were not as high on them collectively 
over the off season and they have already kind of, I don't want to say proven us wrong. There's still so many, I mean, there's still 54 games left to be played, but what they were able to do against a very good Vegas team, I think that you, that kind of upgrades uh, what they did uh, despite the, the smaller sample. Yep, definitely. So want to hit some big picture type items from these two games. What are your big picture takeaways? Oh boy. Wow. That is a loaded question. Big picture takeaways. It's going to be a tough fight for this team to make the playoffs. I think that they are really struggling to generate offense, you know, line to line. And I think that some of that is self-inflicted. And I guess this extends to another point is I think that Isaac, the Isaac Lindstrom experiment has to be called off immediately. I just, I know it sounds harsh. I know maybe it's, it might seem like it's too quick of judgment, but I already had a bad gut feeling about it. And to be honest, it's not just that nothing, it's not just that those two games did nothing to abate that thought. It's that these two games reinforced it. They, it's not just a confirmation bias. Lindstrom did nothing out there. And Ryan Getzlaff is still making great passes. He's still making things happen. So you can't put that to waste. They need to, to call that off. I think it's just going to be hard for this team to generate offense. They have some ways to get there. Get Sonny Milano in the lineup. Maybe call up Trevor Zegras at some point. Yep. Maybe shuffle your lines around a little bit. Um, but outside of that, I think that they have the elements that we kind of were expecting. Their, their defense, despite the shakiness, of the second pairing, maybe that's offset a little bit shockingly by the third pairing, um, has been almost as advertised because of how good the first pairing has been. And John Gibson, I think, redeemed himself quite a bit in, in game uh, in, in game two. Now, haven't really seen much of the power play, so can't really say too much on that, to be honest. But so far, this team is kind of who we thought they were. I don't think that anything has really stood out that dramatically to me that wildly changes my calculation outside of maybe the the steel line just looking so good yeah i i think for me the biggest takeaway from the the two game series uh, there's a couple things actually i actually put on an article with a bunch of them but uh the the bigger ones are chance generation i i think that that is a is a big issue for this team while you could look back on game two for instance and, and you can think about the ricard raquel chance uh in tight the sam Steele t- chance in tight the getzloff chance um basically a clean look on flurry and how flurry was able to make the save. And while yes, you can think about these glorious chances that weren't scored. I, I think the issue is there were not that many on top of that. And so when you look at an expected goal total for the ducks, the ducks are sitting in terms of expected goals, four per 60, sixth worst in the NHL so far in, in the early part of the season at 1.58 expected goals for per game, essentially. Um, and that's just not good enough. And you look at kind of where the playoff teams were last year, they were all in that two and a half range generating that many chances. And now granted, I think a key thing here is they're playing Vegas. We've said this really good defensive team. And so I think that that is a qualifier here that it's going to, a lot of teams are going to struggle to get points out of Vegas. They're, yes. they're going to struggle well, because to struggle to get Vegas points is there. kind of a, it's, it's already a well-oiled machine. So yes. You can't you, and, you can't just come in. Yeah, exactly. Like you said. So majority of the teams, especially the ones that the Ducks are going to be fighting for a playoff spot for if they do indeed uh, continue to push that direction. The Minnesota Wild, the Arizona Coyotes, the San Jose Sharks of the world. Um, they're going to struggle to get points out of Vegas. So getting one point out of a possible four isn't a death sentence for this team. Um, but they're going to need to make some improvements moving forward to be able to do that. And one of those, like you said, 
take Isaac Lundstrom, put in Sonny Milano, put on a Trevor Zegers. I mean, you need, you need, you need higher, you need higher, I guess, upside guys offensively. You need to have a guy who just on any given night could put a couple like, like a Max Contois. Well, you need some more guys like that. Especially if the Ryan Getzloff line is potentially going to get soft matchups. Why have a, a safe player there? Get them some softer matchups. The the steel Comtois Terry line is going well. Um, and so get someone there that can create some chances, create some offense, whether that is Sonny Milano, whether that is Trevor Zegras. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the AHL preseason schedule? Um, cause the goals are slated to play more games, but both their games got canceled, uh, so far. So who knows where that's going? So if postponed. your reasoning and logic postponed. for, for postponed, sorry. <laughs> uh, if your reasoning and logic for sending down Zegras was to get him into AHL preseason games to, to kind of prove himself in those and maybe come up before the AHL season even starts. Well, those games aren't happening. So maybe just take a look. Send who cares? Send down Vinny Lettieri. Was he ever going to really crack the lineup? Like the, these are the types of questions. Put him, put him on the taxi squad. Get him in a game potentially. Um, maybe try to do it against the the Minnesota Wild or the Arizona Coyotes if you can. Do it in that fashion against those teams that aren't the top of the top. Because after uh, Minnesota, the Ducks play Colorado and then St. Louis, and then they get uh, Arizona. Or it might be Arizona after Colorado. I. It, it's a very it's Arizona. tough. Yeah. It's Arizona. And so maybe try to get him into those games. So I, I think there's a way and there's a solution, but they need to be able to be willing to make that change there. The The key thing here is jumping into the next series. The, the series against Minnesota with the first game being, if you're listening to this on Monday tonight, this is a very critical series for the Ducks and their their fight for the playoffs. The Minnesota Wild just picked up four points off the LA Kings um, in dramatic fashion. Very dramatic. They could, have, they could have lost. They could have lost both games. They were on the back of uh, budding superstar Kirill Kaprizov, who or Kaprizov, who's going to be a star in this league, and. The Ducks are going, if they are competing for a playoff spot, they're going to be fighting with this wild team. And if you cannot win one of these games and you lose both of these straight, that is an eight-point swing. Yeah. Because not only are you not picking up two points, the team you are directly competing with is picking up two. And now, granted, they're going to be playing the wild, what is it, six more times? Yeah, every team eight it, it times. does balance out a bit. It's But yeah, it's it's you're but just you're, you're, getting behind, you're putting yourself way behind the eight ball. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So these next two games are going to be very critical, and that's why I say, sure, leave Raquel Silverberg and uh, Henrique together. Leave Manson and Fowler together for this series. But if things go awry, you're in a really, really tough shape, especially with the fact that you're going to be playing Colorado and St. Louis um, in short order after that, which are going to be no cakewalks at all, and they're going to be really tough matchups. The Ducks realistically there's a chance they could go oh nine and one in this stretch and, and <laughs> we've been, be out we've, of it. We've been joking around about that via text, but they but. could be out of it by the 10 game stretch. And so that is why getting on, getting out to the right foot against the wild is so important here because the ducks do have such a tough schedule to open the season. Well, And plus like and, right now, after four games, it's the equivalent of like six games in an 82 game schedule. So yeah, it's not, it, it seems like it's nothing right. You, I can already, I'm getting like just, trauma just from hearing from the thing of the people all tell me in my mentions that it's it's just a game or two games but it's it's not the same as it is every year and yeah the wild are not are not like there's just no the only team right now that you can say the ducks have like that they should win is the coyotes but they don't get to play them until they get through this wild team and then the avalanche who are rolling so yeah yeah it's gonna be it's it's gonna be critical it's 
is tough sledding. So let me throw this out there at a change that we might want to see or that I might want to see. If well, I think I already said the, mine, so. What was yours? Well, I mean, Lundestrom. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside of that, though. I'm not necessarily for the Wild Series, but if things go awry in the Wild Series. Oh, okay. So if things just where, go completely. Where mm-hmm. I'm thinking things go is with Ben Hudden, and I'm not really quite sure when he's going to be available for the team because he's currently, he may be out of quarantine, and so he may need to get up to speed. There, There's a lot of things. There are a lot of moving pieces that I'm not really quite sure on when I mean, he's he going to actually play, be he available. He could play Monday night. He could play, yes. I mean, who knows, yeah. But but if things go south for that Lindholm or not Lindholm for the Fowler Manson pair, mm. what if what if you try? I don't think Ben Lut, Ben Ben Hutton plays has played a lot on his off wing, but I believe he's done it from time to time. What if you look at playing Hutton with Fowler, and then you have Manson with Larson? I guess. Yeah, or Hutton Manson, and then Fowler Fowler Hawkenpaw. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do like the idea of, of Hutton Fowler because Hutton is better, is a good defender, you know, or a good defensive defenseman. Um, and, you know, he's capable of denying entries and kind of being, you know, holding up his end of the, the bargain defensively. And we have seen uh, Fowler do, you know, do okay with guys like that, like an Erica Branson type who just kind of stay home. And so, and Hutton, I think, is a decent skater as well. So, yeah, I don't hate that at all. And I mean, that's. That's definitely a bolder move and not one that I know that I am hundred percent sure they'll make, but I think it's, I agree, but I, it's not crazy. I mean, I, I could still see them doing it because Hutton does kind of have that name brand recognition to some degree. I mean, at least in NHL circles. So I, yeah, I think that that's definitely a good suggestion. Um, my other suggestion, let's see, what do I have? Or did you have any others? Well, the the reason why I would want to to do that is I think because some people may say the easier thing to do is switch up and go Fowler, Shattenkirk, Lindholm, Manson. Lindholm, Manson have worked together in the past. I don't think I would want to split up Lindholm. No, they're just too good. The returns on that pairing so far are way too good, and and they provide the Ducks such a steady presence. It is insane when you look at their their shot metrics and everything along those lines from the first two games and how night and day it is between when they're on the ice and when they're not, it's like the ducks are a different team when you have Lindholm and Shattenkirk on yeah, the ice you, you because need, they control play that well. You need those two together. So yeah, I think that that's probably the one card you have to play. I mean, of course we can't forget the booming accurate shot of, uh, of Cody Curran who could come in and change everything. Of course. Um, there's also, I mean, I know that Andy Walensky is on this roster right now. I don't know if you even consider giving him a look because I think Hawk and Paw's been okay. It's funny, even though I'm not high on Larson at all, and I think he's had moments where he's looked lost out there, that on balance, that third pairing hasn't been the issue for this team so far. It was it's been better than it was last so, year when it was Larson Holzer. I'm kind of just leaving that alone for now. Um I can, of course, hear people saying, well, what about Josh Mahura or what about Hunter Drew or Simon Benoit? They're going to be in the AHL. You know, just just close the chapter on that because it's it's not it's not happening for now. Offensively, again, this is to me what I was saying earlier is the biggest problem area for the Ducks. And I do think that if things just go completely awry in the next two games, you have to break up the Henrique line. Um, I think that you need. I mean, you potentially move Henrik to the wing. I mean, you got to do something to just really change the look of that of that forward group. I mean, I personally would 
get David Backus in there. Maybe. Yep. That's another card they haven't played that that could be an option for this team. And I mean, I mean, to be honest, mm-hmm. some people may not think David Backus would be the best option for this team, but mm-hmm. I mean, he makes the team better. He, like, he does. Even though, yes, even though he might, he's not worth his cap hit. His on ice play actually improves this Ducks team fairly significantly. I will say this: if the Ducks have two more bad offensive performances, they're not even bad, just lackluster. Clearly, it's just not optimal. If I'm in charge, and what I would be calling for, even if I'm not in charge, of course I w- I'm not. But I would. You, what's the excuse to not have Trevor Zegers on the team at that point? Like, the, like, the like, what, like, like, what? Yeah. Like, even though I understand he's experienced, blah, blah blah. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Get him in there. Just give yeah. him a shot. So I mean, that's that's definitely something that they will. They just have to circle back to at some point. Yeah, and I think especially when you're looking at this roster, and it's just the guys running like Bob Murray's not dumb. I, I think let, let's be clear here, and I don't think Dallas Akins is dumb. I, I think they're both smart enough guys where they can recognize, hey, an issue for this team is that we cannot generate chances. We're not getting enough good chances, and there's a ready-made option in Trevor Zegras. Now they may view it as he's not ready, all this different type of stuff, different things like that. And how do you know he's not but, ready if he hasn't even played? Exactly, exactly. And so I, I think I would hope that both of them are smart enough to recognize this issue and that you have this really dynamic offensive talent and might as well throw him in a game. Like I said, this is a season that we will never, ever see again. We will never, ever see the ability to do this with your roster ever mm-hmm. again. We're never going to see taxi squads. We're never going to see CHL guys in the AHL. We're never going to see any of this ever again. So why not use that flexibility, use that uh, use that kind of weird season to get guys experienced in a way that you typically wouldn't? I, I think the Ducks are doing themselves a bit of a disservice here. Now this is a bit of a transition from other things, but a bit of a disservice when you look at Dallas Aikens' Aikens quotes that Trevor Zegras needs to go to the AHL. If you look at guys before him, Sam Steele, Troy Terry, um, Hampus Lindholm, all of these guys, yeah, they've spent time in the not AHL. Of that they, ilk. He is a top but 10 even, pick. But even if you think that, even if you think that, the um, this is not the same season as those seasons this is not an equivalency you're comparing apples to oranges with that Mm -hmm. this is a year where you have a taxi squad where you can have them on the roster and practice where you can get them into games where you you can really utilize the flexibility that you've gathered by the weirdness of this season and the ahl isn't playing until february so why not give them some games before that well here's here's what i would guess if they are going to bring him on at all and if it's at all going to happen in the near future i think they wait until the coyotes series because i just i can't imagine them bringing him in for the avalanche i just I don't even know if I would do that, to be honest with you. You want to I I mean I will mm-hmm. I will be very curious to see what they do with the fact that they're playing the wild tomorrow. I mean, this is even though the wild look good, this is probably when you try stuff. Yeah. I mean yep. and plus like I know that they have the, the excuse of well it was Vegas, what can you expect? Ten month layoff, blah blah blah, but what I am expecting, and of course we're going to be possibly proven wrong within less than, I mean, 12. I mean, it's not going to take long for us to be possibly proven wrong, but I could see them just running it back again one more time, right? Three strike rule. And then we see changes mm-hmm. on Wednesday. The Ducks have four games this week, 
four, yeah, four we, and seven. Yeah, we should. Yeah, before we record our next game, um, they're going to be playing the the Wild on Monday and and Wednesday, and then play the Avalanche on Friday and Sunday. Which means next Sunday show will be a bit of a throwback for us. Yep. It's going to be a post game episode next Sunday, so yep. that's going to be fun. It is going to be four, fun. four games to recap. Oh yeah, we'll probably we'll we'll probably not go in as in depth as we did in, in this on each game. We'll probably no, more so I mean, do a, th- a series. This is our first, you know, our first episode since March of 2020 where we have games to talk about. So yeah, we're going to go super in depth. Um, it's, it's a longer show. I'm completely happy to do it because I mean, we want to get you guys all the content that we possibly can. Should we get into some questions now or unless you had some uh, lingering thoughts? Was there, um, I don't, I mean, let's just do this. <laughs> Predict the outcomes of these games. Predict oh, the Ducks God, record. Why are you doing these, this to me? For these upcoming four games. Why are you? Cause I like to torture you. I mean, you know what I think. Now, am what? I willing to air that? I think they go one, one, two, and one. Yeah, that's what I think. Also, I, I think that I think they go one zero oh, and one against the the Wild, and then lose both against the Avalanche. Yeah, I the Avalanche just embarrassed the Blues, and presumably the Blues are better than the Ducks. So transitive property there. I just don't know how. They pull one out. I mean, hockey is a weird sport. Maybe they win one against the Wild, you know, then lose another one, and then just somehow claw out a point against the Avs just because of the weirdness of the sport and John Gibson just being superhuman. But, yeah, one, one, two, and one would be what I would expect this week. Yep, I agree Which, with by that. the way, so, if, you can, if you come out of this with three points in, wait, three out of, what is it, eight points? Three out of eight. I mean, well, three out of eight with two. Does that keep you alive? Four, yes, because like we said with the the Golden Knights, a lot of teams are going to lose points to the Avalanche. Yeah, like I I think this is a, a weird year where it's a loss to the Avalanche very, counts less. You are only competing against the eight teams in your division. There's no cross mm-hmm. division uh, play for for playoff spots. So the as long as Vegas takes care of their business, basically against the lower teams in the the division, same thing with Colorado. Losing to those teams is not a like a, a game changer for you. It's not this eight this four point swing each game. Now the Wild, the Coyotes. If we're kind of looking at the rest of the month, those are the key games. Well, you gotta be Blues, able to pick up. Points. I would even argue the Blues, but yeah, I think that the Ducks they just need points against the Wild. They they need more than two points. <laughs> Yes, um, I agree. You don't need to win so, both, but you got to get, I would say, three points. Um, and then against the Avs, you're just kind of hoping. Um, I mean, the Avs just look, they look really good. Now, you, you could quibble good. with how good they look uniform-wise, the blue pants and blue gloves, blue helmets. But Big fan, big fan. Okay. All right, so let's get into some questions. So uh, people in Twitch chat, if you have questions, throw them in, add question at the front of it, just for me to be able to identify easily. But we got this one in email form. So let's hit this one quick. Um, and we'll get to one from Twitter also, then we'll get to Twitch. But this came from Caleb uh, or Caleb Halley. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but he had a couple questions for us. Uh, do you think the kid line, uh, Terry, uh, do you like the kid lines, Terry Steele, calm Would it be better if you put Max Jones there? And then also, why do we keep seeing Larson in the lineup when it seems like he's on the ice for every scoring highlight against the Ducks? What could we get for him? <laughs> I don't think you're getting much of anything for Larson right now. Um, a lower draft pick. Yeah, and 
I think for the kid line, I think we've kind of gone over that we like it. I don't. I would not throw Max Jones there over Comtois. I think no. Comtois has a scoring talent. Jones Jones, does Jones just doesn't really add much that that line already doesn't have. You know that, that, that they don't already have. You know he's I guess okay two way, but Steele has has been that and more. Terry's definitely that. So you need some scoring punch, and he doesn't really have that. Whereas Comtois does. So I'm I'm, I'm yep. not touching that line right now. Yep. And then Peter Witherthrow or Witherow on Twitter said, "If you were Eakins, what adjustments would you make lineups or strategy, or would you let the things play out a little longer? How many games until you call up Zegras, and how many games until Murray calls out the core or kids?" Um, so wait, can you repeat that question one more time? I missed. So the let's start with the first part. If Eakins was, uh, if you were Eakins, what adjustments would you make lineup or strategy, or would you let things play out a little bit longer? I there are some things that we already talked about where I am already pulling the yep. plug on them. So like the Lindstrom line, for example, I just you already have to make a move on that. It's just there's no previous history to fall back on with that one where you can say you can give it time, right? That's to me is kind of one of the biggest arguments against it. Whereas with Fowler Manson, which hasn't really worked, uh, Henrik, Raquel, Silverberg, which hasn't really worked, there's at least a track record there where I'm giving that a bit more time. And then I would remove Derek Grant from the power play. Yes, that I would agree with like, that. It just, it's how many it's games just an eyesore. <laughs> how, anyway. how many games until you call up Zegras? Uh, zero. <laughs> I'm calling him up now. I'm 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 yeah, sending uh, him a, a text or a, a DM whatever, he's and I'm <laughs> filing it with the league like he he's on the team you know I mean for me the, I mean and the, and it's not hard yeah. he's in Irvine he's in yeah. the he's in the area yeah, t- so. take a 20 minute drive to Honda Center and uh, yeah lace him up because he there's just no reason for him to be in the AHL right now. Yep. Um. And how many games until Murray calls out the court or kids? <laughs> I think the I think the core gets called out in a week or two if the the results keep trending the way they are. Well, I mean, you kind of said it, but they haven't been that great. Um, the the no. core has so I mean, and I think that they're capable of better. So it actually, I know that people would groan and grumble about it, but it wouldn't be like this completely out of line call out by Murray. Yeah. I, I agree with that, but it's just more of the same. It, it, well, it's, it's more of the Murray same play. if you keep calling out the same people and yet you keep running back the same roster when you don't have to. Well, also, when you look at it and you say, well, the reason why this line is a top line mm-hmm. is because of your roster construction when in reality that top line should be a second line. Yes. And so who does the blame really go to? And so he also said, if the team does poor enough in the first half, half, does Murray finally start trading off assets or is he simply too stubborn to admit defeat? Here's my question with all of that. And this is getting far deeper into the inner workings of this team. But at what point, who takes the controller away from, from Bob Murray? Who, who is going to do that? Because he seems to hold so much sway in the organization don't forget he's not just general manager he's executive vice president i believe um and Mm -hmm. he's he wields a lot of power and i just don't know at what point who steps in and says you know what we we just can't trust you to even make those moves or or we're not it's not even that we don't trust you but we just we need to move in a different direction and we're just putting everything on pause or a message come down comes down from the top that says hey you know what we are we are moving into a, a full-on rebuild. We're tearing everything down, and we're basically instructing you to do this, right? 
So at what point does that happen? Is that the question? It, it's ba- well, yeah, exactly. At it, what point? If the duck, it, well, mm-hmm. no. If the ducks are do poor enough in the first half of the season, does Murray finally start doing that? Does he start I, trading off assets, or is he too stubborn that he will not do that and so, he, it will cost him his job? I I just don't. I think that if the 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 start is poor enough, and I'm talking horrendous. Then I think that that's when those dominoes start falling, where he just gets stripped of some of that decision-making process, and so then it de- then I it think, depends on who's who's deciding at that point. I mean, I think his job's on the line. Oh, it's a, it's one hundred percent on the I, line. I I really genuinely believe I mean, his job. This on the season line. is this, a referendum on how he has constructed this team. Well, yeah, because I mean. You look at the roster. The roster is not that much different than the last couple of years. They added Kevin Chattenkirk, but there's not really a distinct difference between this. And if and if his basically calling card is that the kids are developed, and so this is my roster, mm-hmm. and this is good enough to win. And if if they don't, if you oversell yourself on your team, which GMs do all the time, mm-hmm. and he's now committed to that to the ownership, at a certain point that needs to fall back to him. Bob Murray, for a long time as the general manager of this franchise, I think has done a good job of putting blame elsewhere. <laughs> And not really. No, but I'm. I'm genuinely. I, I, genuinely I agree. Like, I'm chuckling because I. I think you're. You're completely correct there. And, and really shirking blame and putting it elsewhere, whether it's Carlisle, whether it's Getzloff, whether it's Perry, whether it's all these things, and never really taking the blame on himself for giving Kessler the deal that he did for for mistakes well, that he you made. Don't, you don't and, expect and, and not you really don't expect him to come out and take the blame, but it's not something that just doesn't happen in in leadership roles. There well, are. But he. But my point is that he's calling out other guys for almost his own mistakes or not being able to recognize well, those you mistakes. Know, and, th- and I think at a certain point that falls back on you as a leader is if you don't start taking ownership for your own mistakes as a leader, for your own faults as a leader, that eventually starts to fall back on you. And I, I think that question. that's one thing with Bob Murray. I have a question for the show. Yeah. Uh, if Bob Murray, like, I mean, of course it's two games. I think that it, this is a bit, a bit of an overextension, but... It's something that we have to at least be cognizant of because things could go that way. Um, if Bob Murray does get stripped of his decision-making authority and, you know, with the intent of moving on from after the season, um, it, do you see a scenario where Dallas Akins is still around with no Bob Murray? Or is Dallas Akins, is it a package deal and they both go out the door together? I think there's a world that we live in where you could have Dallas Akins without Bob Murray. I think that that's a possibility. I think part of it is due to the fact that Dallas Akins has another year left on his deal. I, I and don't maybe I don't see a scenario with Bob Murray, but no Dallas Akins. I don't think he gets to do another coaching. Yes. Search again. He does not. Yeah. He does not. I, I don't think Bob Murray gets to make that firing. I think there is a realistic possibility where if the ducks get rid of Bob Murray, that they, they also say goodbye to Dallas Akins. I mean, Someone mentioned it in our Twitch chat, but Gerard Gallant's sitting out there without a job right now. Well, Gerard Gallant, if you're talking about a win-now coach, that's yeah. a win-now coach. He took an expansion I mean, he's team also a coach to that, his Stanley Cup that final. Has done a, he's also done a good job developing some players. I mean, you look at Sasha Barkov, Jonathan Huberto, and, and different players yeah. like that over in Florida that he did well, a good job Well, even in Montreal with, so. as an assistant. I mean, that's the thing is that he could fill that role both and, and kind of check all the boxes. And so... It sucks because I think we were both kind of at least curious to see what Dallas Akins could do. So far, he he's kind of been dealt a raw hand, and, and that doesn't help. But even early on, we haven't really seen any indication that he's going to be the one to turn this around. There's still 
plenty of time for that to happen, but it's just hard to say, you know, where his value add really is. Yeah. So let's get into some questions from the Twitch chat. So for those of you listening to this on your favorite podcast services or on YouTube, yes, we're on YouTube, go subscribe to the show there if you'd, you'd like. Uh, that's one thing that we really want to start pushing is if you subscribe to the show you at YouTube, which is completely free to you, you will get notified anytime the video goes up and it really does help out the show. But the real fun thing is we do a Twitch stream of the show each and every time, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. You can help support this show in a way completely free to you that does help out a lot. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days uh, to re-up. Um, but it does help a lot. It gets you special emotes in the chat and special badges next to your name. So we've got this question from Ginger Wolf. Uh, said two questions. Does the organization actually not understand that they don't have elite scoring talent in the current lineup? Do you think that they know that? Or do you think that they believe that Raquel and Silverberg should be 30 goal elites, elite goal scorers in this league? Well, I know you, I know I'm putting you in the position of Dallas Akins and Bob Murray, so tread lightly. But uh, do you, do you think that they realize it? I think that they believe that those guys can be first liners because they have been at, at various points in the past, or at least that they've been close to it in the past. And I think that they can get back. I just don't think that they fully comprehend how players tend to decline at this stage. Like the Ducks don't seem to really buy into aging curves. <laughs> If you look no. at how they go about their contracts to older players. So I think that they do still believe that. Um, and I think that they also probably are cognizant of the fact that they could upgrade. But I think that they're unwilling to pay the price that would be required to get that done. Because they also don't want to give up what that would cause. They, they, they overvalue, like for example, flipping a Josh Manson, right? They probably still think that he is a top end defenseman or... Flipping a, I don't know, like a Ricard Raquel to get an upgrade or, or whatever the case may be. They just, they don't seem to be willing to pay the price. And that, kind of an issue. Yeah, definitely. Um, he also had a follow-up. Um, did you see the the hit on Kasha? Because I did not. No, I didn't I didn't um, see it. But okay. it's so, unfortunate. It's kind of a recurring yeah. theme with him, which really sucks. Yep. Yep. Dalton Keys asked question. Do you think the points difference between first and last in the division will be closer than normal seasons with this unique setup? I think it could be so, wider, wouldn't it? I Well, I, I think it's going to be smaller because they're playing less games, but, but the, the, I, I rel- think it really the, the proportional de- gap. I, I think it depends on the division. I, I think oh, when you look at the okay. Pacific, I, I think when you look or the West, whatever they're calling it, where you've got these top heavy divisions where you've yeah. got, Vegas and Colorado, they're going to rack up a lot of points playing some bad teams. And as we talked about the losing point or losing points to those teams is not going to be abnormal. Meanwhile, in, this meanwhile in the North, you have the senators beating the Leafs. So exactly. So <laughs> I, I think there are going to be some divisions where one to eight is not going to be that stark of a difference. And I think there are going to be other divisions where it will be a massive, massive divide. Oh, well, and I think I mean, it's mainly Chicago. It, I think it's going to be mainly due to, to composition. I, I think the West is probably going to be the biggest. Um, I think that Chicago and Detroit are the worst teams in the league, I think potentially, but I don't know if there's a necessary powerhouse in the, wow. the central, like the West. You, you just lost your hurricanes fan uh, certificate. I mean, there. the hurricanes are, the hurricanes are good. I just think Colorado, Tampa? I mean, look at the spanking. The, they the put on St. Louis. Champs? I guess. Yeah, I guess St. Louis or Tampa, but 
you've got i mean you've got colorado and vegas yeah and and, and so, they are just very clearly better than everyone else after that so yeah i mean colorado lost that first game to st louis and just dropped like, like a hammer was it seven eight. goals was it eight yeah, how many eight, eight zero it, it, it was nuts all right, so M. Young asks, I know we didn't get a good sample size of the power play, but it seems like the Ducks have two separate units, not a one and a two. Yeah, um, I don't... Especially because Grant is on the number one, LOL. What would your guys' ideal power play unit I actually be? So, think that the one of the units that they rolled out with, um, I think it was Terry, Steele, Getzlaff, Fowler, and I think Raquel may have been there. I mean, it was someone... I don't hate that combination. I don't really hate either. I think Grant is kind of a waste of a spot there, but I don't mind the setup that they've got right now. It's to be honest, it's such a small sample and they really haven't had much setup time that I almost cannot evaluate it. But I will say that the one thing I did notice, which I think is going to pay dividends, Ryan Getzlaff looks really comfortable down low behind the net. Um, You saw him use that extra time and space to really kind of leverage his hockey sense and his playmaking ability. And I think that he will, I mean, should things kind of settle down there and they're able to just keep the puck in the zone, which um, if Cam Fowler is the point man, I don't know if that's going to be possible, but I think Ryan Getzlaff, he's in a really good spot back there. And I think that that change was a long time coming. It never totally made sense for me to have him all the way at the blue line, even going back to the Boudreaux days. Um, So I think that that is a good change that, that should pay off. Yep. All right. So, uh, Fat Geralt said, favorite team on each new division or in each new division. Uh, so this is North and Central. North or North Central, North Central. Oh. Uh, East. Oh, okay. So all of them. Okay. My favorite team in all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the North's easy for you. Yeah. Who could have possibly be there? By the way, Montreal Canadiens oh. just spanked the Edmonton Oilers. Drink, just just drink. beat them down. Although Carey Price had to be really good in that game, but uh, yeah, Canadians of course there. Central, I mean, my favorite team. I mean, this is not something I've thought about before, but I maybe a bit of a front runner pick. But I really do love watching the Tampa Lightning. Nikita Kucherov is one of my favorite players. I mean, I don't know where, where do you, where where are you at in the North and Central? Well, Kucherov's not even on the team. I know, but uh, Braden Point. I mean, just go down the list. I love watching Braden Point, so whatever. You're gonna hate me for this. The North, I'm probably gonna go with Toronto. What? I thought you were I thought I, you liked the Habs. I do. Don't like those are the two no, teams that I do like out of there. Like you could have picked anyone else and you picked Toronto. Like it, I'm that's al- like picking I'm Yankees allowed. if I'm a Red Sox fan or whatever. I I'm allowed not being a fan of either team to say that I enjoy both of them. You know? Surprise you didn't pick the Jets or the Senators. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> but no, I, I think that the Leafs are probably my favorite because I just, I find them kind of the most intriguing. They're very fun to watch. Very, they're they're very, very fun, fun to watch. watch. I think they're an intriguing team. The fact they have Joe Thornton. I mean, Joe, Joe Thornton looks good. Like, like he yeah, looks really, exactly. I mean, it doesn't hurt playing next to it, Matthews, but yeah. There, I'm curious to see how their defense goes with with their with adding TJ Brody. So that uh, there, that's what I put there. You said what central central? I'm gonna go with the Hurricanes. My Canes Boo. going with it, sticking Boo. with it. And then in the East, I, I think I'll go with the Rangers. I mean, I, I hate a lot of teams in that division, as you can imagine. Rangers, yeah, they're really fun. Um, good tarps, good tarp game in that arena. I think that that's something that we haven't discussed enough. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Curious. Hey, predi- real quick oh. before we, 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 we have one more question. Tarp ducks, tarp prediction. I'm going to go very like minimal. There's going to be a lot of seat exposure, I think. And, uh, black, 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 lame. Yeah. That, that's what lame. I think they'll do. I hope that they go orange. Yeah. Give me those orange charts. I think orange or even just go like orange, gold, black, orange, black. Yeah. Orange, black, like swapping. Yeah, I mean, I think they could have something really cool, but if if we're gonna if <laughs> yeah, if, we're, if we're gonna judge their bare minimum approach so far to marketing, um, yeah, it's and you, Dal- not great. Dalton Key Dalton Keys bringing up how boring will Honda Center be? Yeah, I mean, I the winner right now for Tarp Game for me in terms of overall presentation is Philly. Oh, the fact gritty. that they've got. The, the fact that they've got a gritty stand is just perfect. Well, Vegas is up there too. I mean, they, 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 Did, they so, tried. Wait, here's a question for Vegas. Are their seats usually red and gold no. or was that something that no, they put they, on the seats? I mean, I'm pretty sure this is new. Um, okay. But yeah, with, um, with the ducks, is it bad that I missed the old color of the seats? Like the kind of burnt orange? I do too. I don't, I don't like the red, I don't like the black. I, I, it's kind of, it's kind of lifeless. I miss, like the red, I mean, I guess the red reminded me that it was like the pond because it matched. Yeah, that. there was something kind of like yeah. nostalgic about it. The the black almost feels light. It, it it was one of the things I liked versus like Staples Center, whereas the black now kind of makes it feel Staples Center. Well, in yeah, a way. The, and it, yeah. You, well, and getting into it even more, the old <laughs> uh, the old top of the boards, the old top of the boards used to be red. Yep. And I think changing them to black made the rink look different. And I miss that it was a it used to have a red. And now, granted, I know the black is safer on the top with the material that was used. Mm-hmm. So good for them on that. Yeah. But I miss it. I miss the red well, top the of the boards. Is, I, the thing is, with those seats, that color, you knew when you tuned in, like you just had to look at You knew it was Honda Center right away if you're just like flipping through games. Um, okay. But the East, I mean, who did you pick again? Oh, yeah, the Rangers. I the Rangers might be my pick. I love Artemi Panarin. Alexi Lafreniere is someone that I'm watching, keying in on. You know what? Yeah, give me Rangers. I mean, I, I don't love it, but there's just no one else really that I can root for. You know, I guess I like watching Ovechkin, and I want to see Daniel Sprong do well for the Capitals. But uh, yeah, sure, give me the Rangers. Good tarp game. Yep. Um, let's get to this question. Then there's a couple more things I want to bring up. Duxco asked, uh, are there any see, way too early prospect talk? Are there any good prospects in a check game again? Are, no, are there any good uh, draft prospects for this upcoming I, draft to get excited about? Ask I mean, me to, Owen Power. Uh, Owen Power is the name everyone's talking about. Matty Veneers. I'm going to be World I'm, Juniors. I'm Outside of be that. 100% honest. Don't ask me that until a few months from now. I'm not in draft prep mode right now. <laughs> yep. Um, so, and then we got a question, and this was actually the thing that I wanted to talk about next. So, perfect timing there. I'm trying to find the information right now. But the reverse retro, the Ducks are going to be wearing it a grand total at least, and, and this is something I should qualify it with, at least at home two times. Uh-huh. And there is, I would say there might be potential that they wear it on the road. If you look at the Kings reverse retro schedule, they do have a home game against the Ducks that they are going to be wearing the reverse retro in. So if you looked back on um, on when it was released, the key thing was they did this for rivalry games. 
The Ducks are wearing it against, I believe it's Colorado and Vegas. Not exactly your your high-profile rivalry games for the Ducks. So a little frustrated that those are the games that they are wearing it for. A little frustrated that it's only two home games, seeing as I am completely, I believe this is the best look the Ducks have had in years. And I don't think that that is even that controversial of a statement. It's a a touch controversial, which might explain the lower volume than we expected. So here we go. February 26th, April 9th are the two dates for for those games. Um, And I believe the third jerseys, I'm trying to figure out. Oh, here we go. The the orange third jerseys will still be worn throughout the season. They're going to wear it on February 18th, March 5th, March 6th, March 18th, April 28th. April 30th and May 1st. And for anyone out there wondering if maybe it's just the ducks and, or maybe other teams are only wearing their, their re- reverse retro two times. Um, I believe Arizona is wearing it every single Saturday from uh, in February and March. Yeah. Well, they've got, they, and, they've got fans to show it too. So true. <laughs> I mean, that, that but, shouldn't change uh, anything, but yeah. Yeah. But still, I would have liked, this is such a good look. It's going to be frustrating that we only get to see it twice throughout the season. I hope that they wear it on the road. I mean, it's such a per, the fact that it's white makes me hope that they wear it against LA in LA. Like it just sets up too perfectly. I hope they potentially wear it in Arizona. That would also work out so perfectly with the purple versus it. And I think the Arizona one would be just such a fun Jersey matchup between the two teams. Yeah. You know, this is a you problem. Sure. <laughs> sure. Is, or I'm saying All this right. is this is something for you to deal with. I'm I'm ag- I'm yeah. agnostic to it. M Young asks, let's and this will be the final question from the Twitch chat. Says he's obviously off to a great start with three goals in two games, but do you think Comtois will be sticking with the lineup for the entire season? That is a great question because I don't think that that's a guarantee. Um, I mean, you know, Max Comtois was used very sparingly last year. And he's done this before. Like, he has had hot starts before and hasn't um, stuck around. Now, of course, he's older now, more experienced. So the likelihood of that happening, being sent down, is lower. But, yeah, I, I don't know if it's a guarantee that he's – there's other guys that they may want – I mean, Max Jones, when he gets healthy again, Sonny Milano, maybe that they put him in over Contois and keep Lundestrom in. I mean, who knows, right? Galaxy brain m- things could happen. Um so I wouldn't set it in stone, but I do think the way he's playing, the way, and not just his own individual play, but the way that he works with that line, I would be surprised if he does get sent back down. I think this is the season where you try to really find out what you have him as an NHL player beyond just like a cameo like we've seen in the past. Yep. So I think that's probably going to do it for tonight for us we covered a, a lot this was a, a lot. mammoth of an episode two hours two hours and 50 or two hours and 13 minutes right now is where we're at hey you know what show, we're, so. we're back we've had plenty of time to rest um so we're, we're better than ever i'm, I'm calling yes. our shot right now we're better than ever this was a lot of fun um for me it's such a joy to be talking about games again talking about new things and I'm super happy and, and really just honored that everybody's jumping in, asking all these questions, engaging with us, the watch along that we did on Thursday. So more of that to come. This is uh, this is just the beginning of what should be a fantastic season. Um, I'm about to talk about a few ways that you can support the show. But, Jake, did you have any other things you wanted to drop in there before uh, we wrap things up? Um, nope think i'm all good i mean if you want to start we got a brand new spanking review yep. from uh so 
from Apple Podcasts. Yep, so one really easy way to support the show that has zero cost to you, it's just a couple minutes of your time at very most, depending on how in-depth you want to be, just search Crash the Pond on Apple Podcasts, and if you leave a rating and a review, it, it goes a really long way, helps us climb those charts. And we just love to hear from you guys, and we will read your review on the show. So let's just dive right into this one. Uh, not the podcast we asked for, but we're a lottery team. That is the title of the review. Love to hear that. This is from Nick. Na- nickname was taken 6969. So love love that as well. Nice. Um, five-star review. Five stars to pump the tires on the best Ducks podcast I can find. So hopefully that means he he found all of them. Um, otherwise, th- that might kind of limit the, the breadth there. I can find... If you're a fan of hard-nosed old-time hockey and you feel like analytics are taking over the game, it's good to get outside your echo chamber and listen to dudes talk about chance generation instead of hits. That being said, these cats put way too much emphasis on shot generation while ignoring the fact that Nicky D, Nick Delore, led the league in fights last year. So love that review. Nickname was taken 6969. Um, A little tongue-in-cheek action there. Always love that. Um, I really appreciate I really appreciate it, and I think it's actually really nice to hear that. That it, I think I definitely agree. I think it's always good to go out of your comfort zone, no matter what. And I'm very happy that we could do that for him. I try to make sure to listen to a bunch of different things, go to a lot of different uh, avenues to whether it's listening to Hockey Central, where it has Brian Burke, who's very old school in his mentality. And I think going outside of your comfort zone is good. I will say this. I'm an engineer, so my brain goes to math always. Well, I'm not an engineer, and I still look at the stats, so there you go. Um, True. But yeah, so we really do appreciate that, and I just want to add to, like, that is kind of what we're trying to accomplish, right? We're trying to give you maybe a different way of looking at the game than, than you've looked at before, and maybe we think it's even a better way, but regardless, we still factor in, hey, if Nick Delore has a big fight, we're going to talk about it. It's not like we're ignoring everything else. Love that little comment. Love the review, so just search Crash the Pond on the Apple Podcast app. Now, if you really enjoy the show, um, if you want to kind of take it up a notch, especially if you enjoyed just the back and forth, the banter, I have a really good option for you here. So patreon.com slash crash the pond. Yes, we are on Patreon. A couple different tiers there where you can support us. So for a dollar a month, one dollar every month, you get access to our Discord chat. And I got to say, it is absolutely worth all 100 cents um, because you get access to a chat where you've got some diehard Ducks fans that are in there every game. Just, I mean, even during the World Juniors, just going back and forth on the Ducks. Um, you'll learn things being in there. I mean, people bring up great points. Um, it's one of the rare places on the internet where it's just, you know, it's it's kosher. Everyone's just there to have a good time. Uh, no trolling or anything like that. So, Highly recommend that dollar tier, if nothing else, but you can upgrade that even further. So for $5 a month, you get access to not only the Discord chat, but also two bonus episodes where, you know, sometimes it'll be a little bit more on the lighter side. We're, or with the added time, without the constraint of having to recap games, we'll also go more in depth onto different Ducks topics or league-wide topics. Sometimes we go completely outside of hockey and talk about the Mandalorian. There's just the world is our oyster with those podcasts. And I think that it, if you enjoy the creativity, the back and forth, you will enjoy those episodes. I just had an idea. We should do an episode about WandaVision when it finishes. About, you need to watch about WandaVision. What? WandaVision. You need to watch it. One or two divisions. Wanda. <laughs> I know. Uh, Wanda, <laughs> Wanda is a name, Felix. 
Um, no, I, I want to add. I want to add this real quick on, on the the Patreon. Yeah. It hit me this. It hit me this week with the Discord, and so shout out to everyone listening to this that are in there and active in there, or if they're looking at, at becoming more active um, in there. But it that's become my favorite place to talk Ducks hockey, Boom. It, and I, I don't think it's even close. Um, just going in there, chatting with everyone, it's just such a fun time. It, it's very. I don't know if wholesome is the right word, but everyone's there yeah, just to be able it to is talk wholesome. in. Like, come on. And, and, <laughs> and, and, it, and I think it's just, it, it's my favorite place to go whenever anything breaks to talk about a game. I just, I, I think it's just such yeah, a fun place. I actually to be. look forward to the reactions of, of different people. I mean, we, we've got so many great patrons in there, and and everyone's just, everyone brings their own little little flavor to the chat, which, which also makes it interesting. Yes. Um, and I do. I also do want to mention that for the uh, we're going to be doing one more watch along this month. Date undecided, but that is going to be uh, available for any patron. So whether you are at the dollar tier or five dollar tier for this month only, that's going to be for everyone. And then next month we're going to probably add a tier yeah. uh, for that specifically with two of those. Yeah. Ones. So, so it, yeah. if if you're interested in having a watch along where essentially Felix and I are commentating over the game and having a good time, then. Uh, consider becoming a patron and joining in you get a sample of it this month and if you like it you can join at that tier next month yeah that's definitely a great point and just to build on that a little bit with the watch alongs what we're doing is we're watching the game along with you as anyone would suggest but we are still adding our own commentary we're not really doing like a play-by-play or anything like that but we i think can give you maybe a different look at the game while it's going on throwing maybe some stats or point out some matchup things, or point out some schemes that maybe you're just not going to get from a traditional broadcast. And, um, you know, we're not trying to put down those broadcasts, but this is just a different look. And if you enjoy how we talk about the game, I think you'll enjoy watching it with us, right? Um, And maybe in the future, when things settle down, we'll be able to do that in person again. Um, But, of course, still a number of other ways that you can support us. YouTube.com slash crash the pond. So a lot of people like watching podcasts in video format and you can certainly do that there. Jake will upload the Twitch stream there after or the Twitch video after each uh, broadcast. And so you'll be able to see our, our faces there for better, or for worse. Um, see us break things down. You'll see all the charts that Jake puts up, which I think uh, that does add a little value there. So make sure to subscribe to us there, youtube.com slash crash the pond and activate your notifications that way you know instantly as soon as we put up another video. We are on Spotify as well. So if you are like me who is increasingly listening to podcasts on Spotify, well, then I recommend it. Search Crash the Pond there. We're on all your favorite platforms. Um, make sure to check out our website, crashthepond.com. Uh, crashthepond.com slash shop. Get yourself some merch. Get yourself some Great looking t-shirts and uh, hoodies. I, I mean, why wouldn't you? They look great. Um, check out Jake's article. I think that this is, if he does keep this up pending, um, it's going to be a good little series looking, or a, a good series about series looking at how different deployments happened, how the series shook out between different teams. So definitely go check that out. It's up right now. Ducks versus Golden Knights series in review. Um, I would highly recommend that. Now, one other thing uh, that I did want to mention, talking about clothing, hey, if you're looking for some some new comfortable clothes for the work from home life, uh, go to Mac Weldon, and when you check out, use that code CTP, you'll get twenty percent off. Um, we are on social media, Crash the Pond on Facebook at Crash the Pond on Twitter, fun account to follow in game. 
depending on who's running it that night, you will get a, a different look. And I think for that alone, if you want a little spice, a little variety, highly recommend that. Uh, Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. Got to give him credit. Credit where credit's due. Your account has kind of dialed it in since the season began. A little less wrestling, a little less uh, Korean yeah, baseball. It's, 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 almost, it's almost as if when there's actual Ducks hockey to talk about, that I'm able to stay focused and not branching out into all of these other things because I actually have things to talk Less about. Less Korean baseball, more Ducks hockey. That's that's what we want. Did I ever really tweet about Korean baseball? I don't think you did. I, it's just the most random thing I could think of to, to kind of attribute to you. You could have gone with Japanese wrestling as the most random thing to attribute See, to so you. I wasn't even that far off then, to, to, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Um, and then I am on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. So that will do it for us tonight, guys. If you have made it this far... And if you made it to any point of our show, thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you at the next show with four more games to talk about. So giddy up. It's going to be fun. Have a good one. Bye.